Hi folks, uh, welcome to topic 5, the endocrine system. Okay, So today we will we'll talk about the endocrine system, uh, topic 5. Let's get to it. Okay. First, uh, what is the function of endocrine? The function of endocrine is basically to release hormone. You have to really separate uh, the differences between the exocrine versus endocrine. Exocrine meaning that uh, the hormone are actually produced outside, exo means outside, whereas endocrine is actually a uh, hormone that produced inside of your body. Okay, there's usually is a long-term regulation, meaning that it takes a um, long time to actually adjust your endocrine system, uh, which you see this next slide, the differences between a nervous system and an endocrine system. Um, but with the endocrine, it takes a while. Uh, if you actually uh, treat someone with uh, thyroid medication, uh, it won't you know, be overnight or over day that you actually will affect them with those medication. It could take weeks. Uh, it could take four, five, six weeks, or even a month or two before they s start seeing any big, huge changes. So endocrine system, think of it in more of a slow system. Uh, where it actually takes a while to adjust to your body, okay? So, whereas um, nervous system is a lot quicker. So, usually endocrine gland is a ductless gland, meaning that um, technically the way they communicate is through your blood, through your blood. All of your hormones actually being put in your blood. This is why we could test every single hormone in your body by just taking a blood test. Um, Whereas certain uh, certain things in your certain chemicals uh, may not be, you know, we may not be able to test through your blood. But with the endocrine system, every single hormone can be traced uh, into your blood. So your blood carry all of these hormones from one place to another place. And this is think of your blood system is a message messenger or tubing system. If you um, work in a hospital or pharmacy where you have these tubing system same thing your endocrine system work the same way you have these tubes where you actually put hormone or a little message inside a tube and then it's sent from one location to the next okay uh, not to be confused with exocrine though so exocrine is more the outside gland anything that leads to uh, your outside is exocrine um, including your you know skin your oil production all of those would be considered exocrine system Whereas the, dis the differences between the nervous system versus endocrine system, like again, the endocrine is more long-term effects, uh, takes a long time. Nervous system, hopefully, is short-term because if you tell your muscle to move and it takes two or three days or months to move, we won't be able to do anything at all. We just kind of stay in bed uh, for the most part. Okay, uh, So nervous system has to be quick, uh, very short impulse, very quick very specific so if I tell my finger to move the, my fingers should be moving okay uh, whereas endocrine is more general target like let's say you talk about growth hormone growth hormone covers everything from you know your head to tell your muscle your bone so it's not just telling your bicep to grow but it's actually telling your whole body to grow so it's not really a general it's a general target it's no specific target anyway um, nervous system we use neurotransmitter whereas endocrine you use hormones um, recover time 
pretty much immediate, almost split second where your nervous system, whereas endocrine could take hours to week to uh, to months even to see changes. That said, there are systems that actually work together. There are some systems that I can consider to be both nervous system and endocrine system as well. Okay, there are some some hormone that consider to do both. Um, for instance, insulin could be considered both of these systems, uh, and also your uh, ADH vasopressin can be considered both as well. Uh, kind of. Uh, like a some neurotransmitter can con consider both hormones and also endocrine as well. So there's uh, a lot of crossover too. Don't don't think of them two big separate system. There's technically uh, they do have a separate system, but um, but it's more like this. It's more like you have uh, two overlapping system. You have the nervous system versus the endocrine system, and then you have the the area in the middle that actually have both of them, so that's what the uh, what the two is, okay. And homo homeostasis, any just like any part of your body, your endocrine system also want to kind of make sure that everything is in the middle, is kind of stable in the middle. You you don't want to you kind of want to bring things back uh, when things is out of range. So that's what your endocrine system is trying to do at all times. Okay. Uh, as example of that is your blood glucose level. Like if you have your high blood sugar, you then release insulin. Your cell detects insulin. Cell take glucose in, lower your blood sugar. You have low sugar, then it inhibits insulin, release glucagon, and then detects glucagon, uh, tell glucose uh, to go out of your blood. Okay. So kind of going back and forth, back and forth throughout the whole entire day. And that's what um, that's what your body does, uh, kind of homeostasis, kind of bring back things back and forth, back and forth. These two you definitely need to know. Um, if you haven't, you don't know that already, you should know. I think I mentioned it several times. Uh, negative feedback versus positive feedback. Negative is mean you, if you have something is high, your body gonna reduce the those hormone to, to go low so to actually balance things out so negative think think in terms of balancing things out okay whereas positive is keep keep on adding so negative you you subtracting you're taking uh, things away if thing is too high uh, if it's too low then it's gonna putting you know always opposite so negative always think of opposite whereas positive is the same you keep adding on to that 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 system Okay, so uh, the the big part of this uh, this chapter is was gonna start right here, the main gist of the chapter. So first, you're gonna have the different types of hormone in your body. Okay, not all hormone are the same. There are different types of hormone. The first one is steroid hormones. Very very common. You're gonna see this quite a bit. Your steroid hormones are made of uh, cholesterol. Usually, is uh, from your adrenal gland. Uh, the main part of that steroid hormone, you have uh, several, uh, like two layers of adrenal gland. We'll get to that later on, but uh, usually those are kind of floating around your body quite a bit, like your sex hormones. Uh, those are the steroid hormones. Uh, peptide hormone are coming made from amino acid. Okay, you have amino acid type of hormones uh, where 
you have these this protein chain that actually made these uh, hormones okay and you have amino acid derivative which means you actually have one single amino acid one single amino acid and we're going to talk about this uh, these chart uh, in more detail okay in really deep detail of, of each gland uh, next week uh, but I will go over actually I will go over the chart this week, but we're gonna talk about some of these more in detail next week related to your diseases. Okay. Um, but we will go over these right now. Let's see. We'll look at this one. Okay. I will post this on your uh, along with uh, along with uh, the link to the video description, so you will have this as well. So the first gland that we want to talk about is the pineal gland. What the thing that you need to know for pineal gland is uh, that it produces melatonin. Okay, this is in the deeper part of the brain. On the back part of the brain uh, is produced melatonin. Uh, melatonin actually help with the wake uh, sleep cycle, wake sleep cycle. Okay, um, to help you going to the sleep, going to sleep, falling asleep. So melatonin does help you with falling asleep uh, one, one of the biggest problem that we've been having especially you know uh, having this stay up stay at home order is that if you don't go outside and expose yourself to the sun you may have problems sleeping even more because of your skin uh, is not able to uh, taking in some of those um, you know activate some of these hormones to help you asleep okay so it's really um, really important uh, for you to actually uh, get get into the sunlight to actually be able to uh, help you sleep uh, works amazingly if you uh, you have babies uh, and kids uh, if you want them to go asleep on a regular scheduled basis uh, you can actually uh, give them little drops of melatonin to kind of spike their food spike their you know uh, the milk um, there's a fast-acting one. You could Google it. There's fast-acting melatonin. Uh, it's come in droplet. Just put maybe one or two droplet of that in their food, in their milk, in their uh, food in the evening, uh, and I guarantee you they will fall asleep right, uh, right on the dot. Okay, uh, works like a charm. Okay, so melatonin, great stuff. Um, really help kids actually fall asleep. Um, a couple of things you you might want to note is that um, you don't want to use a high dose of melatonin you want to use a low dose to help with sleep uh, low dose meaning between one to three milligrams one to three milligrams the lower the better um, the higher dose we reserve that for the uh, for cancer patients for cancer patients so uh, just trying to use the low dose for um, for melatonin to help sleep hypothalamus these uh, these are the hormones that we can look at for hypothalamus. Generally speaking, uh, you want to look for this R. This letter R R is stand for releasing hormone. R H is releasing hormone. So anything you see R, uh, that's actually come from hypothalamus. Okay. So majority of these have R in them. We will talk more about them later on. Um, there's a couple of other one that doesn't have R like uh, somatostatin. This is help uh, inhibit uh, your growth hormone and TSH. 
So when you have too much growth hormone or too much TSH, somatostatin will actually be released and that will inhibit those two. Dopamine is also inhibits PRL, prolactin, um, okay? Um, and, and does a whole bunch of other things too as well, not just uh, in inhibit prolactin. Vasopressin, we'll talk more about that. And oxytocin, technically uh, your hypothalamus does not release that. Um, is your posterior pituitary actually release that, but your hypothalamus sends a signal to release that, and we'll talk more about that shortly. Uh, pituitary gland, tons and tons of uh, hormones. There's a master gland, that's what we call. Um, so basically, you release tons of hormone. We will cover all of these. Uh, thyroid uh, is produced three T and T T three and T four. T three has three iodine: triiodyl thyronine. Uh, T four is thyroxine, which means has four iodine. Okay, which one do we use in your body? We use uh, T3, we use T3, okay, T3. T4 is for transport, for extra, think of extra T because there's four T's there. Extra T is for transport, okay, extra T is for transport. So um, traveling in your body is majority is T4, but in your cell, you actually break, lose that iodine, so you could actually absorb into your cell is T3, okay. Uh, the other hormone that from your um, from your thyroid gland is calcitonin. We'll talk about that later. Uh, parathyroid hormone um, is uh, next to your thyroid. Um, basically, is secreting your parathyroid hormone. Thymus is producing something called thymosin. Thymosin does help with production of T cell. Remember, T cells are mature mature in the, your your thymus. T for thymus. So T cell mature in your thymus, and you need that hormone thymosin to help with that production. Adrenal gland is quite complex. Uh, so you have two layers of adrenal gland: the cortex and the medulla. The cortex produce cortisol. So easy to remember, cort cortex, cortisol, core, core, okay? So uh, produce cortisol. Uh, also uh, produce aldosterone as well. Uh, this is huge for your, um, for your, when we talk about the heart, uh, we will talk more about this uh, this week and also the heart section as well. Adrenal medulla uh, is produce your sex hormone, your adrenaline and um, your sex hormone also produced here as well, okay? Um, so you have some sex hormone produced in your uh, adrenal gland and some in your testes and ovaries. Uh, pancreas, you have uh, the hormone is the insulin and glucagon. Insulin and glucagon. Pancreas also produce enzyme. Enzyme, that's a different thing, different than hormone. Like enzyme would be your... Um, amylase, lipase, all of those uh, also coming from pancreas, uh, but those are not hormones, those are enzymes. Okay. Ovaries, you're gonna we're gonna talk about that much later on. Estrogen and progesterone, same thing with testy, uh, it's also uh, produced testosterone as well. Okay. So this is kind of quick gist um, that you need to know for for this week. Uh, you will have to produce some chart that kind of similar to this chart um, 
and I want you to list all of details of what those uh, co those hormone actually does and what's the function of the hormone not just uh, I want you to list the clan what what's the name of the clan what kind of hormone they produce and what kind of function those hormone what kind of things that those hormone does and I will explain that more on the next video okay so next we're going to talk about hypothalamus uh, hypothalamus is think of them like a control center uh, this is where the headquarters uh, I always look at hypothalamus uh, if you ever watch the, the inside out uh, of Disney movie the Pixar um, uh, the control room uh, where all the emotions are uh, that's the hypothalamus this is where the control center is okay this is where your hormone all gets started okay uh, where your hormone all gets started it's here in hypothalamus uh, the one of the biggest system uh, that you might want to understand is there are two two system for hypothalamus there's the anterior section of hypothalamus and the posterior section of hypothalamus right here okay um, hypothalamus you have two system let's talk about the, the posterior one first which is the more interesting one okay the posterior system on the back is attached to the posterior side of the pituitary gland the posterior side of pituitary gland okay so do you have this system here the posterior system has to do with the nervous system okay you actually have a nervous system here sending electrical signal to the posterior pituitary and then your posterior pituitary then release the hormone okay uh, so there's this uh, nervous system the electrical system if you notice if that's the case with the posterior pituitary their hypothalamus doesn't actually have to release any hormone uh, to communicate okay to communicate between the hypothalamus and to pituitary because they send the electrical signal instead okay that's a lot quicker a lot faster more efficient way of uh, producing the electrical signal to release these two essential hormones uh, we're going to talk about these two essential hormones shortly okay so this is um, the posterior pituitary system um, uh, that actually does this okay whereas the anterior pituitary system you actually have to release a hormone into a bloodstream okay to release a hormone into the bloodstream and so therefore you use the hormone uh, from the anterior pituitary uh, to, to communicate to the anterior pituitary so you actually send a hormone from hypothalamus to an anterior pituitary so the anterior pituitary then could decrease an another hormone to to the whole entire body okay so this separation you need to understand that this separation that one in the front use uh, a hormone system therefore there's a hormone from hypothalamus to an anterior pituitary whereas posteriorly you don't use the hormone from hypothalamus to anterior pituitary because you have a nervous system in place that you just send out electrical information to trigger the posterior pituitary to release those hormones okay and you could see that uh, you could definitely see that in uh, in the picture the next picture I want to show you 
the pituitary actually sit in the cella tersica uh, of the sphenoid bone. Cella tersica means Turkish saddle. Okay, so they sit in that Turkish saddle of the sphenoid bone. Uh, you don't have to remember which hormone actually come from anterior pituitary. All you have to remember is what hormone actually released by posterior one because there's only two of them, ADH or oxytocin. ADH is anti-peeing hormone. We talked about this uh, last week um, on topic four. So ADH, anti-peeing hormone, anti-diuretics hormone, or also called vasopressin, vasopressin, and the name actually tell you what it does. ADH is anti-peeing hormone. It actually prevent you from peeing. And also vasopressin, it actually pressing on your blood vessel, your vessels, uh, your vessels. Okay, so it's therefore both of them, they actually will increase blood pressure. Uh, vasopressin, increase blood, pr blood pressure by pressing on your blood vessel. Uh, Anti-peeing hormone, you're keeping all the pee, uh, keeping all the water, therefore you actually increase your blood pressure as well. Okay, oxytocin, we will talk about that. Those are the two hormones you have to remember, commit to your memory that that's, those are the ones that come from your posterior pituitary, whereas the rest is actually anterior pituitary. And you can see here, um, hypothalamus to the posterior pituitary. The other name for posterior pituitary is called pars nervosa, whereas anterior pituitary is par intermedia. Okay. Um, and this is the hypophyseal portal system. Okay, hypophyseal portal system. The portal system is this right here. This is the blood vessel system, portal system. Whereas the in the back, this is called we call the tract, hypophyseal tract system. So the tract system is using the nervous system sending information to the posterior pituitary, whereas the portal system we use the blood vessel to send information, which it has hormone in them. Uh, so therefore, it actually have hormone sending to the uh, anterior pituitary. So there's big, huge difference between the two. Okay. Uh, before we start this, let's see, we'll start with the next video. Okay, so this is going to be uh, more detailed videos, so that's why I want to kind of make the second one shorter. Um, so we're going to talk about the posterior pituitary system first, and then we'll go into the um, to the anterior pituitary. I actually include this chart with this uh, with your um, with your post as well, so you will see that in a PDF form, a different color, but it's pretty much the same thing. So again, to remember this, uh, to recall this hypothalamus to posterior pituitary, this right here, this communication again is actually a tract system. This is a nervous system, the tract system. So you, uh, what I want you to do is to write that down, okay? Just write that down on here that this is the tract, okay, a tract, or it's a nervous system that is actually being communicated um, from hypothalamus to posterior pituitary. That's very important uh, to remember because um, 
there's massive differences between the anterior and the posterior pituitary and that's why you don't have any hormone in this posterior pituitary uh, from the hypothalamus you don't have any hormone communicating to the posterior pituitary posterior pituitary you have two two hormone the first one is oxytocin oxytocin is the feel-good hormone um, what does it do it actually help with labor contraction labor contraction this is huge um, a lot of times this is why we use pitocin pitocin is actually a mimic uh, of uh, a synthesis synthesis version of um, oxytocin to help with contraction okay to help with contraction and you could do this um, you could actually release this naturally by uh, love hormone if this is another way we call uh, that is being released is actually love hormone uh, this is only released when you have orgasm orgasm so this is why we recommend pregnant uh, women to actually have sex in their third trimester when once they are due uh, in their 36 weeks uh, then you know go just have just go at it um, just have fun and, and you you should usually see the face of the those men who I who I recommended to have you know have their you know sex with their wives they're like what uh, what do you want me to do have sex with my wife I say yeah uh, it will help her you know with with the with the labor uh, because you know women will actually secrete the the oxytocin the more oxytocin you have the easier the labor will be okay and and you usually what I get is like oh no it's you know it's uh, is am I gonna hurt the baby? You know, something banging on the baby's head. And I always have to remind them, you know, theirs is not that long, so don't really have to worry about it too too much. So, um, but you um, you really have to promote that uh, because uh, the higher oxytocin you have, the easier the labor it will be. So, um, and there's several other ways to actually help with oxytocin as well. Okay, uh, this is one way is to, uh, to with orgasm. Oxytocin also help with lactation, with milk ejection. And this is one of the key things to remember is help with milk ejection. Uh, in order for women to actually produce milk, okay, in order for women to produce milk, they need oxytocin. They need two hormones. Um, the other one is called prolactin. That's milk production. You need prolactin to produce milk, but you need oxytocin for milk ejection. And there's one of the key components to this, which not a lot of people talk about them, is that you need to hear the baby, the suckling sound of the baby. Um, there's a huge research on this, and it shows that you know breastfeeding mom needs to hear that sound, that constant suckling sound, in order to release oxytocin. When you release oxytocin, then your milk could come out. I had women come to me and ask me, like, you know what, doc? Um, what happened? You know, I uh, breastfeed, you know, four or five months down the road, and then all of a sudden it stopped. Okay, and one of the first question I would ask them is that uh, how often do you actually uh, pump? How often do you pump? Because if you're pumping, you're not hearing the sound, you're hearing this machine sound sound instead. That's not suckling sound. If you don't hear the sound, then you won't produce oxytocin. If you don't produce oxytocin, you will have hard time, you know, um, 
producing milk because it won't come out. So uh, I know it's con more convenient for a lot of um, moms to actually um, give, um, you know, doing pumping because it's very convenient. You don't have, you, you could do it any time throughout the day. But uh, you have to l remember that, you know, pumping is not a substitute for having your child actually, you know, breastfeeding your child. That's the breastfeeding part is actually create a bond as well. It actually has to do with the bond and also help with producing oxytocin. And we even see this during, uh, you know, differences between uh, C-section versus a natural birth. Uh, with C-section, you don't have that oxytocin. You don't have that natural oxytocin. Um, and you need this hormone to help you bond with your with child. So, uh, so oxytocin, uh, play a big big huge role and Pitocin the synthetic version doesn't cut it uh, doesn't actually help with the bonding at all at all it helped with contraction but doesn't help with the bonding with the babies so that's something to keep reminding your your pa your patient as well the other one is ADH um, called uh, ADH antidiuretic hormones or vasopressin vasopressin so ADH again, like just like this sound, and um, what the function is actually in there in, in its name. ADH is anti-peeing hormone, anti-peeing hormone or vasopressin, pressing the vessels. Okay, so it will will help retain water. The reason it helps retain water is because it's uh, absorbed the sodium. Okay, it, it reabsorbs the sodium. Water follows sodium, so if you will reabsorb sodium, you you will reabsorb water. So that's how ADH works. It's actually suck the sodium back in, take the sodium back in, and then the water will follow. So therefore, your blood vessels will have more water in them, uh, causing your blood pressure to go up. Okay. So with endocrine, you have two problems. You you could have too much ADH. Too much ADH. If you have too much ADH, we call it SIADH, symptom of inappropriate ADH, symptom of inappropriate ADH. Okay, so if you, this means you have way too much ADH, if you have way too much ADH, think of what's going to happen is that you, you keep retaining your pee, therefore you pee very little, that's oligourea. And if you do pee, since you retain your pee so much, you, if you do pee, what happened to your pee? Your pee is actually very concentrated, okay? Very, very concentrated. Th another term to remember is called osmolarity, osmolarity, okay, osmolarity. Osmolarity is how concentrated is your urine or your blood, okay? Uh, if it's urine osmolarity, it's referring to the urine. If it's um, serum osmolarity, it's your blood. So if you ask yourself, okay, uh, SIADH, they pee very, very little. Therefore, their urine is very concentrated. Therefore, their osmolarity is actually go up. Their urine osmolarity goes up. Whereas their blood osmolarity, because you keep in the water, a lot of water, so your blood become diluted. So therefore, the serum osmolarity for these folks will go down because it's actually very diluted. Okay, so the urine, okay, the urine osmolarity will go up, whereas the 
the serum osmolarity will go down. Also, you're gonna since you keep a lot of water, you're gonna actually have the hypertension causing your blood pressure should to go up. Um, these last point is actually lung cancer and also abdominal cancer as well. You could add abdominal to this one. Okay, uh, usually people who actually have lung cancer, as a certain type of lung cancer, very specific type, and also abdominal cancer could actually release a hormone that's similar to ADH and your body thinks it's actually ADH but it's not ADH but it does exactly the same thing um, so it will actually you will have the same symptom as SIADH um, because it's mimicked the ADH hormones so very common one of the causes that oftentimes we ask you in your exam on your three P's is that you know uh, what kind of cause what is the cause of SIADH and usually it's because of most common is because of the lung cancer or abdominal cancer where you have these patient uh, release of hormone that mimics ADH okay so that's for the SIADH uh, the opposite of that if you release too little too little uh, ADH uh, antidiuretics hormone. If you release too little antidiuretic hormones, then you're going to pee a lot because now it's the opposite. That means you're actually peeing quite a bit because you don't have the ADH, you don't have the anti-peeing hormone used, so you pee like crazy. So you're going to have polyuria. This is, when I say crazy, it's truly crazy because you look at it, uh, normally you pee, you pee about 1.5 liters per day. 1.5 on average is 1.5 to 2 liters a day. The most is 2 liter, which is quite a lot, uh, which is something to, you need to remember because when you ask your patient to do a 24-hour urine correction, um, the minimum amount that you should see in there is uh, 1,500 cc or 1.5 liter. 1500 cc or ml or 1.5 liters or 2000 cc or ml that's uh, two liters okay that's the 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 minimum usually that's the amount that you'll get but look at this look at the amount of di folks uh, diabetes insipidus diabetes insipidus uh, di um, release 12 to 15 liters per day so you pee like crazy, you pee like crazy, you pee 12 times, 10 to 12 times more than you normally pee. Uh, what does that mean? If you're gonna pee 12 times than you normally pee, therefore you're gonna have to drink 12 times as much. So these folks will be, you know, they will drink all the time and they will pee all the time throughout the whole entire day. Okay, so DI. In this case, DI, do not confuse this since it's diabetes insipidus. It has nothing to do with diabetic at all. Um, diabetes mellitus has nothing to do with diabetes mellitus whatsoever. In diabetes, in this case, it's referring to just peeing, your urine coming out. Okay, So therefore, keep that in mind, uh, is um, you have polyuria, that's, one of the, that's the main symptom. Your blood pressure gonna go down because you pee out all of the urine. You peeing out all the urine. You have 12 to 15 liters of pee a day that you peeing out. Okay, that you peeing out. So what's gonna happen to the urine osmolarity? Urine osmolarity. Now you actually p 
peeing out lots of lots of water. So you're peeing out lots of water, so your urine is diluted. Your urine is diluted. Therefore, your urine is osmolarity goes down for these folks. Your urine osmolarity goes down, and your serum osmolarity goes up. Okay, your serum osmolarity goes up because your blood now become concentrated blood. You don't have a lot of water in your blood because you pee all those out, so your blood become concentrated. Okay, so you do need to know these, put these in your head. The differences between the osmolarity, osmolarity think of is con um con thickness of those things. Okay, if you have SIDADH, your urine is very concentrated, very thick. Therefore, you your osmolarity goes up. Urine osmolarity goes up. You have retained water, so your blood become diluted, tons of water in there, so your serum osmolarity goes down. Uh, whereas the opposite for your DI, uh, you actually pee a lot, therefore your pee is diluted, so therefore your osmolarity goes down. Whereas your serum, you pee out a lot, therefore you don't have a lot of water in your blood, therefore your serum osmolarity goes up. Okay, so be able to know this, uh, know the differences between SIDADH and the DI. Uh, would be really helpful. This is uh, actually a good chart to keep. It's actually uh, show you a quick snapshot picture of the uh, posterior pituitary, the function of your posterior pituitary. Okay. Okay. So now we're gonna talk about the uh, anterior pituitary. Again, the anterior pituitary, now you have a hormone, remember, it's a portal system. Portal system means that you have a hormone that's sent from your hypothalamus to the anterior pituitary. Okay, so this is a portal system that sends information from your hypothalamus to anterior pituitary. All of them, most of them, you're going to notice the word letter R, RH. So the R is releasing hormone. So when you see the R, you just put in your head, oh, the RH, R is actually come from hypothalamus going to the anterior pituitary. Okay, plain and simple. So if you see that R, think of the hypothalamus going to the anterior pituitary. Whereas the anterior pituitary, you actually have, in, uh, this one is thyroid releasing hormone. So thyroid releasing hormone. Once you hit the anterior pituitary, then anterior pituitary then will release thyroid stimulating hormone thyroid stimulating hormone so that's tsh tsh and then it going to the target cell in this case the target cells is the thyroid gland the thyroid gland tsh will stimulate the thyroid gland to release a hormone called t3 t4 t3 t4 okay t3 has three iodine three four has four iodine it's plain and simple easy to remember and the function of thyroid thyroid actually is huge it actually covers everything your whole entire body it controls everything this is one of the go-to first go-to thing that you need to actually check in your body is to look at the thyroid system okay a word of caution a word of advice is when you check the system make sure you check both TSH and T3, T4. Okay, if you suspect someone who actually have a thyroid condition, have a thyroid condition, you definitely need to check TSH, 
T3, T4. Uh, do not just check only one IC NLR, a doctor, just check the TSH NLR. Time TSH may not give you a complete picture of uh, what's going on in your body. So you definitely need to check T3, T4 as well to see what's going on. Your TSH is the negative feedback system. So therefore, let's say if your T3, T4 is high, your TSH is going to be low. If vice versa, if your T3, T4 is low and TSH is high. Okay, and we name we name it based on the T3, T4. We do not name it based on TSH. So when we talk about hyperthyroidism versus hypo, we're referring to these folks. We're referring to T3, T4. If these guys are low, then you have hypo. If these guys are high, then you're gonna have hyper. Which means, which means the opposite. If these guys are low, T3, T4s are low, therefore it's hypothyroidism. But there's also, that means your TSH is going up. Okay, If you're seeing elevated TSH, that means you have a hypothyroidism. Whereas if you have a decrease in TSH, that means you have a hyperthyroidism. It's always the opposite. And this is a lot of students actually get confused. Like, oh, wait, uh, TSH goes up. Shouldn't that mean hyper? No, because of the negative feedback system. And we name based on the T3, T4. If TSH goes up, that means your T3, T4 is going down. Therefore, you have hypothyroidism. Okay. And we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, you too much, you have something called grave disease. Uh, grave disease, that's the most common one. There's several other ones which we'll talk about next week. Uh, too little, you have Hashimoto. That's the most common hypothyroidism. In fact, that's the most common thyroid condition that people actually have, okay, Hashimoto. So too much grave, too little Hashimoto. And we'll talk more about the, uh, the symptoms of that next week, okay? Uh, next one, you have CRH, uh, cortical-releasing hormone. Cortical-releasing hormone. It goes into uh, anterior pituitary, anterior pituitary release, ACTH, adrenal cortical um, hormone. And then it goes to the adrenal gland. Your adrenal gland release, again, your adrenal release several hormones, but the one that responds to ACTH the most is cortisol. Okay, cortisol. We're gonna focus on cortisol. Um, aldosterone. We'll talk about that later on. Has to do with the RAS system, RAAS system. Okay, so cortisol is the one that we're gonna focus on. Um, and what does cortisol do? Cortisol has to do with these with with stress, fat, protein, glucose metabolism. So uh, it actually breaks down uh, fat, protein, and glucose for you. Okay. Too much of uh, too much adrenal, um, too much cortisol. We learned this already. We too much cortisol is Cushing syndrome. Too little is Addison. So the way I remember them is if you have too much, it's becoming like a little cushion, uh, like cushion pillow. You have you have too much of it, but too little you need to add. You need to add on to that. So you, too little you need to add in. So too much cortisol cushion. Too little is Addison. Uh, we covered that, I believe, last week or week three, um, but uh, we'll talk more about that next week as well. 
Next one is PRH, um, prolactin releasing hormone, prolactin releasing hormone, going to your pituitary gland, then release prolactin. The prolactin. Prolactin goes to your breast tissue, release. It doesn't release prolactin. It actually stimulates your breast tissue. So uh, technically, it's not a hormone that it releases. It's the hormone itself already released in your anterior pituitary. That hormone interacts with your breast tissue. Therefore, your breast will produce milk. Okay? It will produce milk. So causing you to actually have milk. So a big question is that uh, can men produce milk? The answer is yes. Men actually have all these, all the structure, all the um, things that uh, that to create milk. All we need is prolactin, and we need oxytocin. Okay, if we have those two hormones, men too can produce milk. So we have all the all the tools, all the parts uh, to make milk. Our breast structure the same way as. As women, we just don't have a lot of uh, fatty tissue comparing to women, but pretty much the same way, okay? Uh, structure the same way. So men can produce milk, and that's what we see as well if you actually have a condition called prolactinoma. Prolactinoma, uh, we'll talk about that in topic 7. Um, prolactinoma, where you actually produce too much, uh, too much uh, prolactin, and men could actually have milk coming out as well. Okay. Next one is GHRH. This is growth hormone releasing hormone. Goes to your anterior pituitary, then release growth hormone. It goes to your body, your whole entire bone. Again, it's not produced. Your body does not produce growth hormone. Growth hormone produced in your brain, but your body interacts with growth hormone, help your bone and your muscle to grow. Again, it's does is not specific to any bone or muscles. Uh, if you have too much growth hormone, you're going to have a con condition called gigantism. Uh, that's mean you're way too big. Okay. And if you have too little, you have something called dwarfism. Dwarfism. That's mean you're too small. We talked about dwarfism already in topic one. We will talk more about gigantism next week. GnRH is gonad releasing hormone. Gonad releasing hormone goes to your anterior pituitary, then release FSH and LH, follicle stimulating hormone and LH luteinizing hormones. We won't talk about them this week. Uh, we will talk about them in reproductive system. Okay, it goes to your ovaries or your testes, and then your body will produce estrogen or testosterone. Um, okay, too much could cause cancer. This is a quick, simple chart uh, for you to remember um, to kind of go through, and this is you could practice this by writing these down as well. Uh, you know what, which one is released by hypothalamus, which one released by anterior pituitary, uh, which one is released by posterior pituitary, uh, and what kind of function does does it have, and if you have too much of it, too little of it, what kind of disease you may get. Okay, this is kind of big quick snapshot of a whole entire endocrine system endocrine chapter okay uh, you should keep this chart to help with your study for your three p's and for your licensing exam when you think about endocrine a lot of students don't like endocrine but i guarantee you you're going to see this on a daily basis you're going to see this on your on a on your everyday practice people coming in with endocrine problem all the time and we oftentimes don't put a lot of focus on endocrine 
but it actually does go a long, long way. Okay, because it does go a long, long way. So it's too little. You could have PCOS as well. Okay, folks. Um, okay, folks. We already covered um, this picture here, kind of throughout today. Um, we cover what's um, the portal system in the front, the anterior pituitary, and the posterior pituitary. The two hormone oxytocin and ADH. The rest is in the anterior pituitary. So it's a repeat of the uh, all the stuff that we've been talking about. Okay, so. And at the end of this week, assignment is for you to actually recreate this chart. Um, tell me what what hormone actually produced in the anterior pituitary, which one produced in the posterior pituitary, and what are their functions? What are the function of those hormones as, as well? Uh, pretty much the same thing. This is kind of show you the uh, the pr procedure, the progress of the anterior pituitary releasing the. Uh, the hormone from hypothalamus to anterior pituitary to thyroid gland and to the rest of your body and what it controls okay so this one is an interesting picture this is a picture of your pineal gland the pineal gland is right here uh, this is you remember what hormone does that release that's right, it's actually released pituitary gland, and I'm sorry, it's released melatonin, I'm sorry. Pineal gland released melatonin, and that helps with your sleep. The structure right on top here, this is your corpus callosum, corpus callosum. Uh, interesting thing about corpus callosum is this is the connection between your left brain and the right brain, okay? If you do sever this, uh, it will take you a while to learn, to relearn how to walk again. Uh, this is to help you coordinating your walk between the left side of your brain to your right side of your brain. Uh, without this, you will get lost. You won't be able to actually even walk. It would usually take a you know person who who severed this uh, take about take them about a year or so to relearn how to walk again. Just putting on your clothes. Just imagine this: putting on your your shirt alone is a dance, is a coordination between your left brain and right brain. When that's severed, it could take you several months or years to actually relearn how to put on your shirt. The reason we severed this, yes, we do sever them, is when if you have seizure. Some people have uh, um, uh, epileptic seizures. Uh, we do really in severe case, we do sever them. It does reduce number of seizures, but then they would have to be in uh, PT and OT for for a while. This is a picture of your thyroid gland. Uh, this is where your hormone will travel to your thyroid. It's in your neck. Uh, your parathyroid is in the back. You have these four spots of parathyroid hormones here. Okay. And that's where it relieves PTH. So a lot of time people think those are two different glands, but technically speaking, it's they're the same gland and they work together, thyroid and parathyroid, they work completely together, even though they are opposite, the PTH is opposite to calcitonin, so calcitonin released by your thyroid, PTH released by your parathyroid, so, but they work together, they work syn synchronously into one. This is your pancreas, you have the insulin glucagon, uh, I didn't cover pancreas in the uh, that's some quick chart summary, but something you should know as well. Your pancreas is actually produce insulin and glucagon. Insulin, it help put your sugar away, reduce the uh, your blood sugar. 
whereas glucagon is the opposite. You put your sugar into your blood, increase your blood sugar level. Okay. And then you have the adrenal gland. Do you know the adrenal gland is a fat uh, on top of your kidney? You have two layers, the cortex and medulla. Again, cortex produce uh, all of your uh, cortisol here. And where medulla, you actually have your sex hormone uh, and your adrenaline here, your medulla. Okay. Okay, so... So again, you have the adrenal adrenal gland. You could adrenal gland is a gland that could be considered both. Like I said, there's a lot of system that actually have kind of both function between the neuro uh, endocrine system versus the neuro the neuron or the nervous system. The, because in your adrenal gland, you also have the sympathetic uh, neurons going in there that release adrenaline, which is part of your medulla, uh, controlling your you know everything fight or flight kind of system so it so adrenal adrenal gland is considered both both glands uh that's both things endocrine and the uh, nervous system gland okay. we will talk about the ovaries and testy later on in the reproductive sections so and this is your homework for this week i will post this worksheet uh, for you this week um, so what you need to do is to list down uh, what the name of the glands are, what the name of this gland, let's say this little tiny gland here, what is the name and what are the hormones that are released by it and what are those hormones functions, list, write down some of those functions there. Okay. Um, so for this gland in the back, you have this tiny gland in the back, it's supposed to point to the back here. Okay. So what, what gland is that? What hormone does it release and what does that hormone do what is its function okay so we cover most of these okay some of them we don't we didn't cover but it's something you could look up like the heart there's a couple of hormones that your heart does release a and p and p and p uh, you could look at those up what they do we kind of covered them last week we talked about what they do uh, your stomach have a couple of gland a couple of hormone that is being released is help with your, your stomach digestion um, your kidney also release a few a one hormone as well, um, EPO, which we talked about last week. Uh, what EPO does? Uh, your insulin, um, your yeah, your pancreas release um, insulin and glucagon. Testes and ovaries, what do they release? So, okay. So this is your homework for this this week for you to complete as part of your participation. Uh, you can uh, t you could print this out, write it in. If you're savvy with computer, uh, you want to type it in with the text box. You could actually use a Word document, PowerPoint. PowerPoint, I think, is a little easier. You could throw this in PowerPoint, uh, this picture. Uh, you could use the file that I gave you, the PDF. Just throw that in PowerPoint, and you could just add text box type in those text box on there you could adjust the text box size and save it or you could save as PDF and send it back to me um, and please post this on your on your up uh, on the private forum just send that to me on the private forum um, with your name on it somewhere okay if you want to write it you want to write it scan it take picture and send that picture back through the private forum that would be fine as well okay that would be your 
uh, participation point for this week. And that's it for this week. Thank you for watching. We will continue. We will continue the uh, endocrine system uh, for topic six next week. We will get into more detail and diseases of what we talk about this week. Uh, and I'll have like some case study for you guys to work out with for next week as well. Okay. Thank you for watching, and I'll see you on the next video. Hi folks, uh, welcome to topic six, uh, endocrine. Okay, so let's get started. So we already cover um, the basic information of endocrine. And this week we will look at all of the pathologies of the endocrine. Okay. So when we talk about pathology, it's really fall down into the ha having too much hormone or too little hormones. Uh, pretty much fall into those two camps um, and this uh, usually you have the negative negative or positive feedback system that actually help regulate your hormone and most majority of your uh, hormone actually operate under um, negative feedback system okay negative feedback system so so basically when you have too much too little, too little that's mean you have inability to maintain or pr provide that equilibrium or homeostasis okay so causing you to have diseases okay. so there are ectopic hormones uh, non-endocrine you could have the autonomous uh, endocrine site um, and it could be in terms of the failure of these pathology could be because of the target cell itself or could be kind of think of it like like a river could be an upstream problem so um, so if you look at the hormone itself uh, you you may have a downstream uh, issue or you could have an upstream issue so let's say if this is like the mountains you have the mountains and you have the water coming down so it, in, in this case you want to think the mountains are like um, your brain okay so this is your brain so in your brain you have like what we talked about last week you could have the hypo um, hypothalamus and you could have your pituitary um, those are the 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 origin of the system if you could have problem there things will kind of trigger uh, skating down as well okay or on the other hand you could have problem downstream you could have problem down here which could cause the negative feedback uh, telling the you know the top folks to increase more okay we'll cover all of that but just keep keep thinking that uh, you could have problem at the target self itself or you could have problem up up the river up in the mountain all of these could actually cause the problem So target cell dysfunction, you could have, you know, different things from um, abnormal response or the messenger, uh, the second messenger. You could have, you know, your hormone is not working. Uh, Sometimes your hormone is not breaking down or uh, deliver appropriately, or uh, you may not have the sufficient enough uh, amount of hormone going in be able to produce by the target organ so various issues 
some of the hormone we talk that you need to know when we talk about some of these already uh, ADH antidiuretics hormones anti-peeing hormones so this is worked uh, with aldosterone um, actually with ADH I'm sorry ADH works uh, to reabsorb sodium and reabsorb um, water um, basically bringing the water back into your body that's ADH Aldosterone, we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, shortly. And ANP, BNP, this atrial na natriuretic peptide hormone and brain of B-type natriuretic peptide hormone. Both of these actually produced by your heart and both of these will reduce your blood pressure. Okay, so B-type was first discovered in the heart but released by the brain by the heart I'm sorry discover in the brain but released uh, by the heart so. so first we want I want to kind of emphasize on this uh, and I covered we I asked you the question very first first week of class your topic one to see whether you know what the RAS system is okay you know what the RAS system is so and this more than than ever you need to know what RAS is okay Renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, R-A-A-S system. And it all started, all of these are started in the kidney. Okay, so always think of kidney is number one. So kidney basically detect the uh, low blood pressure, detects the low blood pressure in um in the glomerulus, okay. In the glomerulus, they detect the low blood pressure. Um, so what the kidney does is actually, kidney then secrete a hormone called renin. The hormone called renin. Renin by itself doesn't do anything at all, okay. But normally, your liver, your liver, the second organ here, second major player, uh, release a hormone called angiotensinogen, okay angiotensinogen. They use two by itself doesn't do anything but when they combine renin combined with angiotensinogen uh, they create they create angiotensin 1 angiotensin 1 angiotensin 1 then goes to your blood travels in your blood goes to your lungs combined with the ACE okay uh, combined with the ACE, which is angiotensin-converting enzyme. Angiotensin-converting enzyme. Converting the angiotensin-1 to angiotensin-2. Angiotensin-2. Okay. And that's not the end of the story. Then it goes into your... It actually, angiotensin-2 does a couple of things. One, it actually causes the sympathetic activity. Okay, cause the sympathetic activities. Cause also this help with the reabsorption of water. That's just another thing that it does. It reabsorbs water through sodium and chloride. It reabsorbs chloride back into your body. Uh, sodium and chloride back into your body. Basically, reabsorbs salt, and water follows salt. Okay, so if they s they reabsorb salt then follow water salt so you actually reabsorb more water and third thing it does is actually tell your adrenal gland to release aldosterone okay tell your adrenal gland to
to release Aldothran. This is the big one that you should know. Uh, tell your Adreno clan to release Aldothran. And what Aldothran does is actually it does this. It does exactly the same thing. It actually tell your kidney uh, say, hey kidney, you need to, re to reabsorb sodium and you need to reabsorb water. By reabsorbing sodium and water, your blood pressure goes up. Okay. And then you need to know this angiotensin 2 also also uh, help with vasoconstriction vasoconstriction also that increase the blood pressure that increase the blood pressure angiotensin 2 also help with release of ADH 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 same thing um, also reabsorb water also reabsorb water okay so you, this is a mechanism, this is a very precise mechanism that actually increase your blood pressure. So all of this, so all the RAS, what the RAS is, in short, is actually increase your blood pressure, increase your BP by uh, reabsorb water, uh, reabsorb water and sodium chloride okay so by reabsorb water and sodium chloride which is salt okay so that's the gist of RAS um, the reason it's important now because of uh, the COVID-19 COVID-19 actually now um, being seen as a vascular type of disease not just the lung disease but more vascular disease because it seemed to to damage a lot of the uh, vascular system in your body and it also interact with uh, ACE2 one of the uh, um, ACE2 receptor uh, and, and um, that it actually go in through the cell through the ACE2 receptor something too for you guys to know okay so please remember this uh, please remember RAS because you will see this over and over and over again why is this important we have medication that treat the heart, um, lower your blood pressure based on this. You have the ACE inhibitor, which is right here. You also have ARP, um, all the ARP, okay, um, which is uh, happen right here, angiotensin one. Um, okay, so knowing all these should help you with your uh, with your practice. So this is, we're going to talk more about this later on uh, in terms of where the ADH uh, regulates and also where is the um, aldosterone regulate in the nephrons. But we'll talk about that when we talk, when we get to renal stuff. So ANP and BNP is the opposite, uh, basically opposite of RAS, complete opposite. These two actually help lower your blood pressure. So if you are, if your body somehow detect an increase of blood pressure, of your blood, uh, your blood pressure goes up through your kidney as well. Um, a and P, B and P will actually uh, more like an in inhibitor. It will actually inhibit uh, your kidney to produce renin. It will in, um, causing. Um, inhibit of a a uh, ADH as well 
and aldosterone, epinephrine, norepinephrine, all of these, and help you actually uh, secrete sodium and water to re to reduce blood pressure. So when aldosterone goes up, guess what happened with your blood pressure? Your blood pressure also goes up as well. Okay, uh, ADH goes up, blood pressure also goes up. Whereas ANP and BNP, when those goes up, uh, when they go up, uh, the blood pressure goes down. Okay, that's the opposite effect. Okay, so. Okay, folks, uh, welcome to part two. So let's talk more about the posterior pituitary, which we already covered before. So um, we kind of touched on this earlier, I believe in topic three and four. So, okay. So uh, you have two hormones in posterior pituitary. You have oxytocin and you have ADH. Uh, those are the two hormones. Oxytocin, not really a big, huge problem because it's a love hormone um, and doesn't really do a lot of things uh, aside from giving milk and also the uterine contraction. So if it goes up, that's when you're about to have babies if you, or you're about to have orgasm. So either two, which not a little, really a big problem. Uh, some people might like it. Um, too little, you, you know, uh, we don't really haven't really see or classify that as a cl clinical stuff yet at this point. So the one that you should focus on is the ADH, uh, what, what ADH is. Uh, if you have too much ADH, this is called SIADH, symptom of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone, which is SIADH. That's mean you have really high level of uh, ADH in your body. Uh, again, causes, very common cause, usually surgery. After surgery, you might see a spike of ADH. Uh, like I said, the cancer is very common, abdominal cancer and also the lung cancer are one of the most common ones. Usually they, those cancer release a similar hormone that actually mimic ADH. Okay. And what it does is actually uh, collect the water. It actually, the ADH causes water to be retained in, so reabsorb water and also reabsorb um, uh, sodium as well. Sodium also follow water. Water follows sodium. Okay, so keep that in mind. So this is a key that I tell you to remember. Uh, this is one of the things, and you should just put it in your head uh, in terms of how this actually works. Um, so uh, with SIADH, okay, SIADH, you're gonna pee very little. So think of it. You have very little water coming out just a tad bit of water coming out just a little puddle okay of water coming out therefore your your urine is actually highly concentrated so your urine is very very concentrated so if you look at the cup you will see very little water and but you become very very dark okay so think of that so think of it that way so your blood your blood on the other hand you have more water inside, so very little solute, but you have mostly water because you reabsorb the water in. 
okay so your serum your serum you will have low osmolarity hypoosmolarity think of osmolarity is the same thing that they say um, um, the, how much solute you actually have in there if you have high solute does mean you have very little water uh, low osmolarity low solute does mean you have lots and lots of water so serum you actually have uh, hypoosmolarity hypoosmolarity where you have urine you actually have hyperosmolarity hyperosmolarity um, okay so hyper for urine anything greater than 300 milli osmolarity per kilogram that's uh, hyper okay if you have 500 you have 700 that's mean you have hyper osmolarity for urine so hyper urine os osmolarity hypo serum osmolarity that's siadh you're also going to see hyponatremia because you sodium is you leave you you reabsorbing the sodium but the sodium goes into your cell your interstitial cells because you absorb water you have so much water so the sodium leaks out being pushed out to the interstitial cells okay it, it's not in the water it's not in the urine it's not in the in the blood okay because you don't pee it up um, you also have hypervolumia you have too much volume your blood pressure goes up um, so treatment um, so treatment you could so if you have SIADH you want to counter those um, by uh, lowering the um, kind of trying to get rid of those water you want to somehow uh, get rid of those water so one thing of that you could do is injecting into the uh, hypertonic saline into the blood so Hi, uh, hypertonic meaning that you actually giving them the solute giving them all the sodium and other things into the blood okay hopefully you could force out uh, the water uh, carnivotan is also another medication that could also help drives out the water as well drive out some of those water okay uh, fluid restriction between 800 to 1000 ml per day you don't want to have them to drink too much because you don't want to dilute the blood the blood is already diluted you want to actually reduce the the um the, you want to increase um the osmolarity uh, in the blood serum osmolarity so uh, chronic siadh you oftentimes give them this medication um, demiclocycline okay you you guys are gonna cover the medication more in in farm so going opposite when you, you go low is uh you have diabetes insipidus uh, diabetes insipidus uh, so this is not type di like diabetes mellitus uh, this is where you pee all the time okay this is where you pee uh, 12 to 15 liters of um, urine throughout the day which means you don't have enough ADH, which means you're going to pee a lot, you're going to become thirsty a lot. Polydipsia, that means thirst, you're going to drink all the time. There's uh, three different causes of that. It could be neurogenic, that means uh, just your brain is not producing ADH. And do you remember which part of your brain produced that? 
test, right? Posterior pituitary produced uh, ADH. So that means your posterior pituitary is not producing ADH. Could be that your hypothalamus is not sending the electrical signal, or could be that your posterior pituitary somehow is not doing its job. Okay, nephrogenic. That could be because of the renal. Um, that could be insensitivity of the your renal tube. Uh, somehow, your kidney is damaged or injured, causing your the collecting tubules um, the way uh, the um, it's supposed to collect the water in. It doesn't collect the water. It just dump all the water out. Dipsogenic. Uh, this is mean you just drink way too much. Uh, if you drink way way too much you could literally cause your body to do the opposite okay with diabetes insipidus again you pee quite a bit uh, quite a bit normally you pee one to two liters a day in this one you could pee up to uh, 15 liters uh, 8 to 12 some people say 15 as well so okay so if you're gonna pee that much you're gonna drink a lot so again it's the opposite from SIADH you're gonna have increased plasma osmolarity because now in your blood okay so now in your blood if you look at your blood you you peeing a lot you peeing all the time so you urine you pee a lot so this guy is a lot but it's is uh is diluted because you're peeing a lot you have way too much water and your blood your blood is the opposite your blood actually become very concentrated because uh you you pee all the water out so now you actually are you have all the solute in here all the protein and solute but not a lot of water space on there okay so your you have increased osmolarity your serum or your plasma osmolarity goes up because it become uh, very very thick and your urine osmolarity goes down because it actually become very diluted completely diluted so keep that in mind. So low urine osmolarity and uh, low urine specific gravity. So you have polyuria, nocturia, peeing all night, all day, uh, hypernatremia. You actually, because you remember you now you have a lot of solute in there. Uh, so you're going to have a lot of uh, sodium floating around as well. Uh, treatment, these are treatment. Very, very, um, we usually, if you don't have, uh, ADH, we give you ADH, uh, and the synthetic version uh, is the DDAVP, uh, is the one that we give, desmopressin, uh, that we give to the patient. Uh, nephrogenic, uh, you have a thiazide and other things that you could do, um, and dipsogenic, uh, you want to manage your water management, uh, make sure that you don't drink too much water. Okay. So question one, I want you guys to answer the question and in the comment section, just uh, write down your comment below. Answer this question. A person is admitted into the unit with diagnosis of lung cancer and SIADH, the nurse expect the person to have? Which one? One, two, three, or four? One, two, three, or four, question one. You could write one, two, three, or four, and just actually write down the actual answer, like diluted urine, uh, hypoosmolarity state, hypernatremia, or reduce extracellular volume. Pick one. Yeah, that's only one correct answer.
Okay, so brain number one, then then write your choices. Okay, on the on the on the below here. Number two, a patient present with plasma osmolarity of five hundred um, milli osmol osmolarity per kilometer uh, kilogram. Sorry, um, what is the most likely diagnosis? So pick one. SIADH, DI, Addison disease, or water toxicity. Pick one. You could pause this video and pick one of these. Write down on the comment below. Okay, so we'll stop right here before we go into the disease of anterior pituitary. Okay, folks, now we're going to talk about the anterior pituitary, which is, there are a whole slews of them. Um, so we're going to cover uh, most of these. Okay, so let's get to it again. Is uh, You want to think in terms of too much and too little of things, okay, when you're going into anterior pituitary, just like, just like um, going into posterior pituitary, too much and too little. So first, uh, kind of, overall picture of what two littles look like when you have too little hormone that means you don't have enough those hormones um, in your body basically uh, so you actually have the absence of those hormones could that could be a lot of things and this is very if you ever seen a patient who actually you know we remove the uh, the pituitary gland um, when you don't have those hormones you do need to replace them so basically you see them actually those patients um, they have to take uh, 20 30 pills a day uh, to replace a lot of these hormones that they are missing that they don't that they don't have okay so that you need a hormone replacement so it could be from the cortisol ACTH TSH FSH uh, growth hormones so a lot of them will uh, you know don't have enough of those Hyper, on the other hand, you have too much. Too much, you're gonna seeing too much of, of one thing is not good, and you're gonna see that whichever hormone it is, and you have too much, you're gonna have very high prominent of those uh, to the point that you need to um, kind of lower it. Otherwise, uh, you could cause a lot of problem. When you talk about hyper and hypo, for the most part, for the most part. Depending on which hormone and where, um, then there are class classic signs that you will see uh, in them. Okay, um, we'll talk about pituitary adenoma just uh, shortly. Okay, well, start talking about about it now. So, what are the m more common things that you're gonna see? is when you have pituitary adenoma. So basically you have a tumor inside your brain. Okay, a tumor inside your brain. When you have that tumor inside your brain, you could have you could cause a lot of things. You could have cause a lot of variation. You may see a hyper um, hyper pituitary in one in in one aspect and you may see hypo in a different aspect. So just keep that in mind that you may see various different things with pituitary adenoma. But one one of the common things that you will have, one of the common symptoms are these. Because you actually have tumor in your brain, literally you have tumor inside your brain. So you're going to have nausea, vomiting, you're going to have headaches, and you're going to see visual changes. Those are the very common things. 
especially especially if if you have pituitary adenoma <clears throat> one of the things that actually run along here is the optic chiasm optic chiasm is the uh, is your nerve endings that coming back from your eyeball and it actually crosses it desiccate meaning actually it crosses from one side to the other side with normally with pituitary adenoma is actually it will press on the that right at that desiccation that optic chiasm portion uh, what that does is actually uh, the person will actually have visual change they won't be able to see things around them on the peripheral side you know from top bottom side the prop or the peripheral view will become uh, smaller you won't be able to see those so if someone approach them from the side they won't be able to see they have to turn their head to see them usually okay um, actually if you have a pituitary adenoma in the middle you actually have a um, yeah yep so it's peripheral side okay um, so with the uh, with the treatment basically uh, you're gonna remove the these uh, pituitary adenoma okay you're gonna remove these stuff out um, so first one first one um, this one is not pituitary adenoma um, but you could see th I'm showing you this because you could see the nasal nasal passages is pretty big enough to kind of hold all kinds of things and as the clinicians you guys gonna be doing this too okay you guys you could be doing this in your office so keep that in mind so okay so you see how big that is you could see how big that is okay uh, so that's not pituitary adenoma but um, but that's you could see how nasal cavity has a huge area that a lot of things could hide in there uh, and people could have difficulty breathing and you have to go in and do to remove those um, but this one is actually an actual removal of the uh, of the adenoma um, I guess I have to sign in, but you definitely could watch this uh, on your own. I you do have this uh, link on the on your PowerPoint. I would highly recommend uh, to watch this. So a lot of time before 20, 30 years, 20 years ago, when I um, right before I start medical school, the way we try to remove pituitary adenoma back then is through the skull. And they have to go they put little holes here on the side and they have to go through all these structure to go in and grab uh, the tumor cells down here and a lot of times um, they could grab all kinds of stuff too aside from the tumor cell because you go down through these brain tissue so now today um, if it's not too big enough uh, they would go through your sphenoid uh, bone and sphenoid sinuses and uh, cut this out and then most likely they won't cut your pituitary out in the past we have to remove the whole entire pituitary as well as the tumors um, and a lot of time these patients will actually end up on 10,000 medication to take to replace all of those um, those hormones but now, now today you don't have to do that okay 
So that's what pituitary adenoma looks like. So the key things to remember is uh, if, if you have pituitary adenoma, you have these three hormones tends to go up. Okay, uh, these three hormones to go up. This is the most three most common hormone to to become elevated uh, when you have pituitary adenoma. First one is prolactin. Uh, this is when you have galactalia. This is in the 30% of all pituitary adenoma patients will end up with this. So this is the majority of the time. 30% uh, seem like minorities, but with all the hormones you have in your in your body, in your, in your pituitary gland, this becomes the majority of the time that you will see. 30%. So if you have this, you're going to have galactalia, which means you're going to uh, start uh, leaking out milk. Okay. Just think of having diarrhea with milk in your nipple, just kind of leaking out milk all the time. ACTH, what does it do? It actually helps with your cortisol, so basically you end up with Cushing syndrome. Cushing disease or Cushing syndrome, syndrome uh, where you actually have tons and tons of cortisols, causing you to have all these symptoms we dis uh, discussed before. But we'll touch it, uh, we'll touch base on that again. Last one is the growth hormone. Okay, growth hormone. This is help you grow, and if if this happen, uh, this could happen with uh, with kids as well, not just the adult. So if it happened with kids, you're gonna see gigantism. But if it happened with adult, you're gonna see acromegaly. We'll talk more about that shortly. Okay, so that's where pituitary adenoma looks like. So um, hypersecretion of growth hormone. You're gonna see. Two things. Two things to remember. One, you could have a condition called gigantism or acromegaly. Gigantism is is uh, when you have it when your before your growth plate actually close, before your growth plate close. So this is when you have in a children and adolescent only, whereas acromegaly you actually already have the growth plate, the epiphyseal plate already closed. This is when the adult then you're going to have acromegaly. So keep that in mind. You should know this, uh, the differences between the two, what's the difference between gigantism and acromegaly. Okay. Um, so these folks, the problem with these folks is it actually help, remember growth hormone is not just help your bone actually grow, but also help grow your muscle. The problem with that is your heart is a muscle. So therefore, your heart actually becomes bigger as well. You can end up with cardiac hypertrophy, which is not good. Um, the, the bigger the heart you have, not good. Okay, the, the faster you die. Okay, so acromegaly. Uh, this is when you have the key term is uh, enlarged facial bone. You're gonna have big hands, big feet, big jaw, and big forehead. Okay, big hand, big feet, big jaw, big forehead. So, uh, acromegaly, think of Abe Lincoln. Abe Lincoln actually had uh, acromegaly. Uh, that's the reason he's growing beard uh, all the time, because to cover the, his enlargement of his jaw also, because he had acromegaly. His hand and feet are much bigger. He's a little taller side as well. Okay. So, um, you could have diabetes as well. You other uh, system uh, other CNS would be headache, seizure. Um, you have um, papillary edema, edema, which means you have the fat deposit in your back of your retina. Okay, 
very common picture you have big jaws here big hands and big feet um, treatment basically uh, to remove anything that causing the growth hormone to grow uh, for instance uh, to remove the tumors uh, or using radiation to kill those tumors um, or uh, different medications to help with that as well uh, you will you may you may see a patient um, really in I had a patient come in with their family um, you know um, sometime kids remember kids could have this and they said well you know what with gigantism just leave the tumor in there and let's uh, let him grow a little bit you know until he reached puberty like 12 13 or 14 until he gets to like six five six six or so you know they could have a dream of you know, be able to play basketball and you know be an nba so um, some parents will do that will actually uh, will say that um, to you and you just have to let them know what's the side effects of that and, but sometimes you know they they want they want to do that they want to be really tall um, so they could have an opportunity to play in, in, in nba so growing taller is actually bad for you um, the taller you are the shorter life expectancy you have so uh, just FYI you have you ever seen a seven feet tall seven foot tall person in a nursing home most likely not um, most of them actually die early uh, if the taller you are you actually have a, a, a shorter life expectancy and the reason why is actually has to do with your heart. The taller you are, your heart has to work a lot harder to pump the blood to your brain and to your feet. Therefore, the the, the harder the, the heart actually has to work, the sooner your heart gives out and you die. Okay. So if you're short, be proud. Uh, you're short because you tend to live longer. People with shorter tends to live much, much longer because you don't have that harsh condition of your heart that they have to work too hard, way too hard to pump the blood. Okay. Second hormone is prolactin. Prolactin is usually uh, it caused by your pituitary tumor. The key word to remember is calactalia. Um, so keep that in mind. Okay. Um, before we start, thyroid will stop right here and we'll start thyroid next one okay so let's talk about thyroid thyroid is pretty huge uh, to cover okay so you could see this uh, hyper and hypo function of thyroidism you could have too much or too little of those thyroids okay so hyper versus hypo okay versus hypo okay so when we talk about thyroid okay thyroid um you have primary okay primary in this sense meaning that uh it's actually caused by the thyroid gland itself there's something wrong with your thyroid gland thyroid hormone uh that caused your your problem to go up or go down so just think of primary meaning that is at the thyroid level only whereas secondary is anywhere else from your thyroid could be because of your trh could be because of your tsh could be because something happened in your brain that caused you to have your thyroid to go up or go down 
Okay, in actuality, we actually divide it into tertiary, primary, secondary, and tertiary. So primary is at the thyroid level itself, your thyroid gland. Secondary is happen in your pituitary gland, and tertiary is happen in your hypothalamus. Okay, so in actuality, think of it in this term: you have three location, the thyroid itself, or the pituitary. Um, the anterior pituitary or the hypothalamus. Okay, so look for for instance, remember thyroid is a negative feedback system, negative feedback. So hyperthyroidism when it goes up. So when we talk about hyperthyroidism, think of all the hormones down here. Okay, I know if you list like this, this is from your hypothalamus from the top to pituitary and then down to the gland. Okay, but when we talk about the symptom, we base on downstream what we're seeing downstream. So hyperthyroidism. So guess what? What happened to your T3, T4? Your T3, T4 goes up because it's hyperthyroidism. That means your T3, T4 goes up. Uh, but if it's primary, which means the problem is only here, it's only in your thyroid. These two are pretty much normal. Your your brain is normal. So the normally with the negative feedback, normally what it does is, if this goes up, then your TSH must goes down, and your TRH must goes down, telling your body, hey, um, you need to lower that now. You need to lower that thyroid hormones now because it's way too high. Okay, so it's the opposite system. So when you test, when you run a Want a lab test, which I hope, I hope that you run both. You run TSH and T3, T4. Sometimes TSH doesn't tell the story alone. Okay, rarely we'll deal with TRH. Rarely, very rare. So I would recommend just run TSH and T3, T4. Uh, would be nice. So secondary, secondary referring to that you have again your T3, T4 goes up. Your TSH goes. Since now the secondary problem, it's a problem is here. The problem is in the TSH. Therefore, your TSH also gonna go up. But your hypothalamus is normal. Therefore, that gonna goes down. Okay. Whereas the last one, the problem is actually way up here. The problem is in your hypothalamus. If you have something wrong with your hypothalamus, your T3, T4 gonna go up. Your TSH and TRH also gonna go up. Okay, um, very s easily remember. So primary, okay, when we say primary, uh, primary is only one. So this only one of them goes up. Secondary, which is two, two of them goes up. Tertiary means three. All three of them goes up. Okay, so that's how you remember them. Pretty easy to remember. Um, so. And this works with every single one of, you know, with cortisol. Cortisol works the same way. So if your, uh, your cortisol level goes uh, up and your um, ACTH, um, CRH, all of those would be the opposite. So it go primary, secondary, tertiary. We'll talk about that later. But this works the same way with hypothalamus, um, hypothyroidism, I'm sorry, hypothyroidism. So it's the opposite sign. So if it hypo, which means your T3, T4 gonna go low, your TSH gonna go up, and your TRH gonna go up, 
with this one your T3, T4 gonna go low, your TSH is gonna go low as well, and your TRH is gonna go up. And on this one, everything gonna go down. Okay, so uh, works exactly the same way. So it's it's n it's good, always good to see to run both your TSH and T3, T4 all together. Uh, so if you only run TSH let's say the person have secondary you can't really tell you you might you might think that they they have a hyperthyroidism but in actuality they have hypothyroidism uh, and now so the tsh range kind of big uh, depending on the lab but for the most part a lot of doctor even endocrine endocrinologists um, have a, a lot lower range than what they have it on the lab on the lab, it's saying six. Uh, Sometimes could go up to four, even six. Um, but normally, most of the time, you should run between 0.5 to about two or so. Shouldn't be more than two. Anything above two, you might want to really look at your T3, T4. You might want to look at other things as well. Okay, so keep that in mind. So when we talk about thyroid, think of all the symptoms of the of thyroid based on these you know just looking at the system base don't look at don't try to memorize the symptom because there's a lot of them so just go by the sy system base what happened to your heart what happened to your cns sns uh what happened to your gi what happened to your term so you're gonna think about these system okay so cardiac what happened to your heart your heart if you have hypo that's mean you're not your metabolism is low therefore you have slower heartbeat you have hyper your heart gonna pump faster all the time what's gonna happen to your skin if it's hyper you're gonna skin become red because you have lots of blood circles circulating around your body you're breaking out breaking up things all the time so your heart your skin will be red you'll feel hot all the time hot like not sexy kind of hot but hot like uh, sweating hot um, GI, you know, you're burning up stuff all the time with hyper. You actually eat, you're gonna eat, eat, and eat. You're gonna poop and pee all the time. Whereas hypo, you, you're not, uh, you're not gonna poop and pee, but you're gonna gain weight. And with hyper, you're losing weight. So think of all of those uh, in that sense. So you don't have to memorize all these medications. Uh, there are there are different types of hyperthyroidism. We're gonna t cover those. Okay, so hyper doesn't mean you just have too much too much thyroid, and there are different types of hyperthyroidism. The treatment for all of these is the same. We actually give them PTU, uh, uh, propyl uh, thiouracil. Uh, what this is is basically breaking up the thyroid level. As a clinician, let me kind of warn you to that. Most people don't like this medication, don't like PTU. And oftentimes, you put them on these medications for a few months, and they will gonna try to find an alternative type of treatment. The second step is we're gonna do radioactive iodine therapy. Basically, we're gonna kill the kill the thyroid by shooting, um, having you uh, injecting the radioactive iodine, and then sapping it with the X-ray. Okay, so killing it off with the X-ray into the into the thyroid. So your thyroid will kind of simmer down because they're being shot with bombard with all of these radiation and last one which eventually you will see will is the start of the progression one two and three 
So with surgery, you're going to remove the whole entire thyroid. Before, they used to cut you right in the middle of the neck, uh, and you're going to have this kind of horizontal line, suture line in the middle of your neck. People might think like you're trying to kill yourself by slitting your throat. So now, they actually cut on top of your clavicle on each side. So if you want, they could cut on the clavicle on your left side and then go from from the clavicle up to grab the thyroid and then remove those thyroid. Okay, so keep that in mind. The first one we're going to talk about is called the Graves' disease. Graves', Graves is the most common hyperthyroidism. Uh, it's an autoimmune disease. Okay, keep that in mind. That's an autoimmune disease. The two two things you want to remember from the Graves is um, one, they have something called exothalamus. Exothalamus, that's the bulging eye. Like you're going to see the bulging eye. I'm going to show you that shortly. And diplopia, which is the uh, double vision because of that bulging eye. Then you're also going to have something called pretibial maxedema. Pretibial maxedema. This is very specific to grave disease. So this is, you're going to see edema on the tibial bone, if you remember what tib where tibial is. That's your shin bone. So you're going to have edema actually in your shin bone. Your leg going to swell up. Okay. So you're going to see antibodies. Uh, for autoantibodies of that uh, for for graves in the blood, pretty easily tell. Uh, you could run T TSH three T T four. You're gonna see your T three T four goes up. Your TSH then it goes down. Um, for autoimmune disease, this is what exothalamus looks like. Okay, the bulging eye. The reason you have this. This is the reason down here. In case you guys. In, in curious why this happened um, because um, you actually have accumulation of hydrophilic a GAG or glycoaminoglycan um, so you actually have these um, GAG hydrophilic GAG um, deposit onto these uh, into your muscles around your eye so those the six muscle around the eye um, the um, the one uh, uh, the rectus um, the rectus muscle around the eye, uh, when they deposit onto those muscle, it actually make those muscle become loosened. When it lose those muscle, the eyeball tends to bulge out like this. Okay, and why do we have GAG? Because uh, you actually uh, because of the the antibody you have the thyroid stimulating anti antibody. The antibody activate the T cells, uh, cytokine and TNF alpha. And interferon gamma um, really help promoting those, and then they those actually producing the the hydrophilic GAG. Okay, deposit on these muscles and cause the eye to bulge out. This is the exothalamus here, and this is the pretibial edema you could see. The next one, the second type, okay, this is, that was the first type of, this, that was the first type of, um, of hyperthyroidism. So this is the second type we're going to talk about. The second type is called uh, toxic nodule coiter, to 
toxic multi-nodular goiter or toxic nodular goiter so TNG or TMG either one okay it's the same thing there are two different types of uh, TNG um, the key thing to remember is here that you don't have exothalamus and you don't have pretibial maxedema okay? you don't have any of those and it tends to occur um, all the symptoms are the same but tends to occur more slowly more slowly than, than the grave disease okay? so there are two ways you get this Okay, you actually could feel this. You actually gonna see a nodule, literally a nodule in the in the thyroid gland. You're gonna feel the nodule in the thyroid gland. So there are two types of nodules. One is what we call a hot nodule. You actually gonna have to order the radioactive iodine reuptake to see what type of nodule it is. Okay. So the hot nodule, what that means is that that nodule itself releasing that nodule is releasing um that nodule releasing the t3 t4 okay that nodule is releasing the t3 t4 okay so causing your thyroid level to go up because because of this nodule okay so that's the hot nodule whereas the cold nodule you have the nodule here you could see nice and cold it it's a lighter picture, lighter picture here, whereas you have the darker picture around it. What this means is w w when we inject the radio, uh, iodine, radioactive iodine into your body, it's being reabsorbed into your, into your thyroid. This one is into the nodule itself. What this means is this nodule, it's just a tumor, it's just a, uh, uh, it doesn't do anything by itself, but what it does is actually press on your thyroid. It's pressing on your thyroid, causing your thyroid to release T3, T4. Okay, so your thyroid itself will release the T3, T4. Okay, so the cold nodule is that mean the, the the cold nodule means that your thyroid is the one that is releasing the 3T, T4, whereas the hot nodule is the one that uh, not the nodule itself releasing T3, T4. So either one of these, you have to remove the thyroid, okay? But but you could test it out. Uh, the one more important one is that we often ask on your exam is this one. This is called the thyrotoxic crisis or thyroid storm. Okay, thyroid storm. This is really life-threatening within the 24, 48 hours or so. The big problem with this is you just have a huge spike of your thyroid hormone huge spike of your thyroid hormone T3, T4. Normally T3, T4, you know, you have a lot of it, not big of a deal, but the only problem is it actually increase uh, your heart rate, okay? Uh, these become a problem, all of these. Hyperthermia, you have tachycardia, and when you have tachycardia, lots of tachycardia, that could throw into the dysrhythmia, arrhythmia. Um, causing you have heart failure so this could lead to death very easily um, so T treatment we actually use PTU to reabsorb um, to reabsorb those thyroid level uh, you could use beta blocker to help con uh, control your cardiovascular your steroid as well um, 
Okay, so the key thing to remember is this part because your heart problem, you, that's the reason you want to send them to the ER because of the heart, your heart could give out. Okay, so thyroid, thyroid storm. Now we're going to talk about hypothyroidism, which is much more common than hyperthyroidism. Hypothyroidism is, uh, is an autoimmune disease as well. This is the most common form of it, which is called Hashimoto. Hashimoto is the most common hypothyroidism. Like, like I mentioned last one, if compared between hyper and hypo, you're going to see a lot more hypo than hyper. A lot more. Okay. So the most common one is hypothyroidism, and the most common of those is the Hashimoto. We're going to talk about iron-dine deficiency, which is not really a problem here. Uh, other part of the world might be, but not here in the U.S. because we add iodine and salt, and we use salt for everything. We put salt in our food, tons of salt, in fact. So therefore, none of us usually have iron-dine deficiency. And that helps prevent goiter. We usually don't see goiter as much here. Okay. Um, the other one we're going to talk about really is called subacute thyroiditis. Subacute thyroiditis. Okay. So we'll look at these. And other type of uh, thyroid you have is congenital thyroid um, hypothyroidism, or also known as cretinism. Cretinism is when you don't have enough thyroid during pregnancy and your baby could several, uh, sever, um, several type of um, defects, including um, um, malformation and also um, mental retardation as well. Okay. Thyroid carcinoma, uh, that's the cancer, you, you have thyroid cancer could be primary or secondary, that could be in your brain as well. Okay. So the the symptom of thyroid high low thyroid is you have maxedema. Okay, maxedema, that's something you should know. Maxedema is basically is the edema, non pitting edema. And oftentimes it's around your eye. Okay. Most often time it's around your eye. Just think of a bag, little nice little bag, gushy bag around the eye, on the flatter back. You're gonna see that shortly. So this is someone's eyes. Uh, okay. So you can you're gonna see the back, nice little bag underneath their eyes. Okay. The one that you really need to keep in mind and concern is called maxedema coma. Maxedema coma. You something you should know. You might see it on your quiz or exam. A maxedema coma. This is when you don't have any thyroid hormone. You, you're going kaput with your thyroid hormone. And what happens is you become hypothermic. Remember, thyroid help keep your body temperature as well. So your heart will slow down, which is not a big deal. You could have hypotension, not a big deal. But when you actually have hypothermia, this means your body just kind of drop in temperature. Uh, that could affect the brain. Uh, you're also going to have a buildup of lactic as, um, acid in your body as well, which can these two alone can lead to coma. Okay, uh, so keep that in mind. 
So we're in, in hyper, like hyperthyroidism with thyroid storm, you concerned about the heart, whereas maxedema coma with hypothyroidism, you're more concerned about the temperature and also lactic acidosis. So they could see the lovely back here, maxedema around the eye here. So before and after, so, so this is when they have edema everywhere. Yes, bulldog can, dogs could actually have thyroid condition as well, just like human. So next one is subacute decurvian thyroiditis. So sometimes we call subacute thyroid thyroiditis. This one, basically you actually start with the uh, viral URI first. So you're gonna have an upper respiratory condition uh, for a few days, okay, you're gonna have this for a few days. So, um, so you could have this for a few weeks or days, and after after those, after after your viral URI is gone away, a few a few weeks later, you're actually gonna de develop a thyroid condition. Usually, is a very mild condition. You're gonna literally have a very transient or asymptomatic, but you could have mild condition of hyperthyroidism and then go to hypothyroidism and then go into normal. You will you will not find the thyroid antibody here. No, nope, you're not gonna find antibody because this is not an autoimmune disease. This is uh, just an inflammation or just infection of the virus. Okay. The other thing to remember is there's no max edema and you don't have to do anything. Okay, you don't have to do anything. It's uh, self-limiting, which means that it will go away by itself. So just tell your patient, you know, take lots of water and uh, rest, and after a few weeks, and it will go away by itself completely. Okay, so within a month, it should be gone. These um, triphasic, uh, you might want to remember it also uh, for your um, hypothyroidism, your Hashimoto as well. Um, no, no, we're going to talk about that. Yes. So you should know for Hashimoto as well, because usually most of the time Hashimoto could start as a hyperthyroidism and then for a few years or one or two years or so, and after hypo, hypo, hyperthyroidism and then it's going to go to hypo uh, and then uh, then it will remain as hypo. Okay. So when the antibodies start attacking the thyroid, then you may see a release, a more release of the uh, hormone T3, T4, and your body will respond as a hyper. But after a few years or so, the more it attacks, uh, the more the, uh, the antibodies start attacking uh, the thyroid gland, eventually you're going to run out of thyroid and you're going to become hypothyroidism. Okay, So keep that in mind for Hashimoto. Treatment for all the hypo is the same. Basically, we give you the thyroid, so levothyroxine. So question three, you want to answer this on the bottom comment below. So write down your answer. A nurse practitioner no grave disease is caused by. Okay, so write down the, uh, the whole entire answer. Don't just write one, two, three, four. Just write down the whole entire answer. Okay, uh, let's stop here and then we'll continue next one. Okay, let's continue with parathyroid. Parathyroid is 
again a gland a little gland that's bright behind not in front but behind your thyroid gland so if you were to look from the back you're going to see little dots in the back of your thyroid there are four dots there uh, two on each side and those dots are the uh, parathyroid gland most often times they kind of like i said they work together with the thyroid gland they works all work together okay so keep this in mind um so your hyperparathyroidism you have parathyroid release a hormone called pth parathyroid hormone pretty straightforward so you could have a primary hyperparathyroid problem which is mean at the parathyroid itself which is most often time you actually have a adenomas at the parathyroid which means that most often time you have a little tumor there so you just have to remove the whole entire thyroid gland uh, second one is is because caused by other things like you have renal problem you have uh, you know uh, your vitamin D deficiency you have calcium problem so um, then you end up with hyperparathyroidism or you could have tertiary problem which completely the secondary problem causing the tertiary problem uh, you have long exposure of the secondary problem really become chronic then you end up with the tertiary problem so um, other problem that you could other causes that you could actually have it you could actually cause by you know genetics portion um, run in the family um, one of the things to kind of notice is that um, usually it's asymptomatic but what you see is you're going to seeing a hypercalcemia um, okay so remember you work uh, your your thyroid your thyroid your thyroid your thyroid release calcitonin okay calcitonin calcitonin putting the calcium into the bone okay putting your calcium back into the bone okay uh, whereas pth is the opposite pth actually okay pth what it does is pulling calcium from the bone and putting into the blood so pth putting the calcium from the bone to the blood so what happened with that is you're going to have tons of calcium hypercalcemia okay problem with hypercalcemia is because now you're going to have possible kidney stone and possible kidney stone could actually lead to renal failure you could shut down your kidney because if you have tons of kidney stone your kidney is not going to work then your kidney going to shut down and you end up with with renal failure so pth the biggest issue to remember is you're putting calcium back into your blood so hypercalcemia therefore you could cause stone therefore you can end up with renal failures so treatment usually surgery to remove whatever caused the tumor that caused this um, or a medication that we could give you Hypo, on the other hand, is the opposite. So hypoparathyroidism, um, that's mean you have low PTH. Low PTH, that's mean you're not going to put calcium out into your blood. But the opposite happen. That's mean you're not putting calcium into the bone. 
Okay, if you know <coughs> if you're not gonna put calcium into the bone, therefore you're gonna literally have bone problem. You're gonna have like your bone become very brittle. Uh, you're gonna have um, joint and bone issues where you have osteoporosis everywhere. Okay, so keep that in mind. So and usually caused by you have damage in your thyroid somehow. It's from the surgery or something caused you autoimmune disease. Okay. Um, if you don't have enough calcium, you remember calcium uh, does a lot of things, not aside from your bone. Okay. Uh, if you don't have enough calcium in your body, your calcium actually uh, a big key in terms of muscle movement. If you remember it about the muscle, how how the muscle works. You need to release calcium in order, um, in order for your muscle to act in, could bind with um, myosin. Um, so in order for those those things to actually work, you need that for your muscle. So without calcium, your muscle is not going to work properly. Same thing with your nerve muscle excitation, and the key things to remember really key things to remember is this is here okay you're gonna see this on your exam so know this okay but most of you I'm sure already know it so if you already know it that's good shelf stacks and trousers sign uh, so question four right this on the bottom of the comment okay on this video which information is most correct regarding hyperparathyroidism hyperparathyroidism so which one which one of this is correct okay hyperparathyroidism is associated with pick one one two three or four just write down the answer actual answer do not write down one two three or four okay let's stop right here before we move in to diabetes Okay, so we're going to talk about diabetes mellitus. Okay, diabetes mellitus. And most of these you probably already know. So uh, I'll try to kind of flash through really quick. Um, but it is quite important to know these um, because you see it all the time. Um, you, All of you already know this. And then, um, so I don't have to make it even more, you know. But... There's a few things you definitely need to know and you may not have known before, so just keep those in mind. Okay, so things like some of these, you like I said, you already know there are type one, type two, and gestational diabetes. We're going to talk about those type one, type two, and gestational diabetes. Um, the symptoms you're going to have hyperglycemia, uh, you know, defects in insulin secretion, action, or both, or both. This is something to put in your head. Um, you want to test for hemoglobin A1C. And the level A1C you're going to be um, anything above 5.6 um, is pre-diabetic. Um, so by 5.7 to 6.4, anything above 6.4, like 6.5 and up, uh, that would be type 2 diabetes. Okay, A1C does last for quite a bit, uh, for four months. Um, doesn't really change six months to a year usually doesn't really change your a1c so it's a good much better indicator to test for diabetes rather than the sugar level 
you could do the fasting sugar the fp uh, fpg um, or um, fasting plasma uh, glucose or F fsg fasting serum glucose same thing um, so that one you should remember is uh, anything below 100 is good anything above uh, from 100 to 125 that's pre-diabetic anything above 126 you need to have twice you need to test them twice uh, if it show up twice that's also would indicate that they have diabetes mellitus so pre-diabetic or metabolic syndrome that's you have one foot in the door uh, you already have that one foot in the door you're ready to become diabetic same thing with pre-diabetic for a1c if it's between 5.7 to 6.4 that you're already well on your way um, to this lovely thing okay so this is the differences between the normal hemoglobin and then the hemoglobin a1c what it looks like you have all these glucose glycose glycosylated uh, glucose attached onto the hemoglobin okay so um, you could also do the two-hour glucose tolerance um, but um, most people usually don't like to go through that horrible ordeals uh, we do that with pregnant women um, which we'll tell, talk more about that later on okay so question for you guys type between type one type one and type two which one is more genetics okay between type one and type two which one is more genetics okay and the answer is type two okay the answer type two type two is highly highly genetics it runs in the family okay it runs in the family more so incident than type one okay, more so than type one so type one um, may or may not be from your family okay just keep that in mind okay so a lot of time you know we taught which before you know we taught you guys that type one is with you know childhood diabetes type two is adult onset which we don't use that, those terms anymore because we see vice versa as well um, but type one uh, can be and for the most part it has to do with the environmental uh, component uh, genetic factor can be a problem but usually it's a lot smaller number than the environmental factors so type one you have this destruction of um, the pancreatic beta cells so which mean that you cannot make uh, the you cannot make the insulin period so with these folks you they will need insulin for the rest of their life okay so type 2 could be non-immune uh, so type 1 is autoimmune could be environmental that kind of trigger it or it could be non-immune that could trigger it so this one is idiopathic we don't know what really caused it for the pancreas not to produce the um, not to produce the uh, insulin genetics for the most part has to do with first degree relatives so if you're gonna marry within your family your cousin your siblings uh, not good um, then you might have type 1 diabetes okay that's the only the strongest genetic component for type 1 which 
most of us, you know, most type one patient doesn't mean that they actually, you know, as a result of the firstborn, um, you know, cousin or having a first degree relative cousin. As you could see here, you could click onto this link. Uh, these are articles uh, showing that it other things that actually cause the type one diabetes. There's uh, one research showing that if the baby is not breastfeed in the first month of life with uh, mom's milk, but rather give more of a cow's milk, which is in the formula, a lot of formula is actually cow-based milk. So um, then you end up with type one diabetes. Okay, so um, this is why this is one of the reason why um, in more recent years that we're really promoting um, for um, mothers to actually breastfeeding because you could end up with these kind of um, with type one diabetes, definitely. Okay, so this is one article. Um, usually. Uh, you could welcome to read this article. Uh, it actually show that um, that um, different ways to reduce the antibodies. Uh, you know, uh, feeding uh, infant feeding could actually could risk to type one diabetes. Um, so another journal articles uh, that relate to cesarean section that could. Uh, increase the risk of childhood onset type 1 diabetes mellitus. So again, um, these are environmental causes of type 1 diabetes. Uh, lack of vitamin D, again, that could be part of the pregnancy. Um, this is a huge portion, you know, when we talk about pregnancy, you should uh, recommend your patient take lots of vitamin D as well. So they could pass on to their kids even when they, you know, breastfeeding. Because if you don't go out, you don't see the sun, you don't get vitamin D. If you don't have one, how can you pass it on to your to your infant, your baby? So, um, so if with type one, if you don't have the if you don't have the insulin, we have to give you the insulin. So therefore, you will have to you know use um, insulin injection. And a lot of time now today, there's all kinds of um, New in new in invention, I would say, to help with uh, with diabetes. Um, you know, in you know, it's in the past we just use needle to you know pinch the needle to poke your fingers. Now there's pumps. There are different ways of measuring your glucose now. Um, you know, ne needleless kind of way. Uh, there's several machines that actually does that. Um, Amazon actually. Um, was gonna do the contact lens to measure the sugar in the uh, in the eye, but I guess they scrapped that. They actually uh, didn't find that sugar level in the eye doesn't quite as reliable, so they kind of scrapped the whole project. The one is that more common than type one is called type two diabetes, type two diabetes mellitus, and. Again, this one mainly has to do with genetics. This is run in your family like crazy. So um, you don't have to look far. Uh, you could look down south of Phoenix uh, to an Indian tribe called Pima Indians. Um, majority of the, the tribe, um, since they, um, with, the, with the Indian tribe, we could actually study their tribe pretty easily. 
a majority of them actually have a genetic component of type 2 diabetes and they are passed on from their you know from one generation to the next so this one we do see clearly that uh, it it is definitely um, more common than type 1 but also can be passed on genetically also environmentally if you eat sugar all the time uh, could actually trigger type 2 or eat lots of lots and lots of diet diet stuff can trigger type 2 as well okay one of the things that I want to kind of show you is regarding leptin leptin is the hormone in your body that regulates these um, these type 1 diabetes So um, to save you some time, I mean, I would highly recommend that watch that video. You're going to see what leptin is. Leptin also what part of your DQ this week. So you might want to learn more about leptin. So uh, watch this video. Uh, you're definitely going to learn quite a bit about what leptin does. Uh, leptin, uh, for those of you who are looking to, to lose weight, um, leptin is a uh, appetite suppressant, which means that it actually will suppress your appetite you can recommend this as a clinician as a doctor injecting leptin into a patient who actually doesn't have leptin you could test remember leptin is also a hormone so you could actually test this leptin in your in the blood and if they don't have leptin you could actually inject this into the blood iv into the blood or im um, and it will increase the level of leptin and therefore they will stop eating they will eat less and when they eat less they lose weight automatically okay so uh, leptin play a huge role in terms of diabetes um, so if we could prevent obesity um, then you know the, the the child or the adult could actually you could stop them from having uh, diabetes type 2 Type 2 diabetes, one thing you probably need to know is that it is one of the diseases that actually can be cured. It is curable. And all you have to do, easier said than done, but all you have to do is control your diet. Really control your diet. Once you control your diet, type 2 is gone. Okay, you're welcome to read these um, pretty much. Uh, the other hormone, other things can actually play in is the amylin, which also help decrease in type 1. and It's usually decreased in type 1 and type 2. Garin also decreases in type 2. These are hormones that normally produce in your stomach that help digesting food. Uh, by replacing some of these hormones can actually help uh, prevent type 2 diabetes. Uh, so the key thing is the diet, truly, uh, more so than exercise. Trust me on this one. Uh, people often time, you know, focus on exercise in terms of losing weight or even with diabetes. 
but you the first and foremost thing you need to do is diet you could go out and eat mcdonald's and hamburger and eat horrible food junk food um in order to burn that off in order to burn that you need to exercise at least six hours straight to burn off those calories um, those empty calories from mcdonald's and junk food store okay so therefore uh, it's so much important that you focus on ex uh, on eating a diet eat putting that the right food into the mouth it will help save a lot of time in terms of exercise um, you don't want to lead to bariatric surgery that's what should be the end result okay uh, eating right what does that mean uh, that's mean you eat throughout the day six meals a day so you have to glaze uh, you always tell your patient like this you know you, you look at other animals on this planet is there any animal that actually aside from human that actually have it in their head that they have to eat breakfast lunch and dinner so no other animal on this planet have three meal schedule like we do and I'm not sure who came up with breakfast lunch and dinner in the first place um, so most animal on this planet eat whenever they could find food they kind of some of them graze throughout the whole day and most herbivore um, omnivores um, or carnivores eat specific time of days um, but not breakfast lunch and dinner and you know omnivore like us uh, we eat throughout the whole day and you want to kind of glaze throughout the whole day so you want to eat small meals throughout the day and you want to focus on more protein and less sugar you don't want them to eat lots and lots of sugar sugar is not good for you so eat less sugar more protein and that should help them cure their diabetes okay um, thiazide will help with um, blood pre blood pressure steroid any uh, can you know diabetes obesity can lead to uh, de uh, depression as well so uh, gestational di diabetes this is when you have um, with uh, w pregnant women most of some studies show as low as one percent some show as high as 14 percent uh, you're gonna see the variation in your practice between the two if you do anything has to do with pregnant pregnancy which is pretty good stuff prenatal stuff uh, fun stuff um, you will see about 10 percent or more uh, i would say um, and you have to put everyone uh, who's pregnant go through the two hour glucose tolerance test which one of the worst tests that we could do to women because we actually ask women to come in starve them because they have to fast for eight hours so you really start starve them you know where they literally eat all the time they're hungry all the time and you tell them not to eat anything at all and then you come in you we poke their finger cause them to bleed give them more pain and then test their blood and then tell them to wait for two hours while they wait they have to drink this nasty liquid um, and then after two hours we poke them again causing them more pain and then if they if they're high then you have to wait for another two hours then you poke them again the third time so fun test fun little test okay uh, gestational diabetes if you have those more likely you gonna end up with type 2 diabetes both the mom and the baby so keep that in mind other problem uh, we're gonna talk about 
uh, these hyperglycemia, DKA, uh, smoji effect, and dawn phenomenon. So we'll start that on the next one. Okay, so continue on with diabetes. You definitely need to know um, these two, definitely big, huge portion on your exam. Okay, the first one, hypoglycemia. Um, hypoglycemia. You definitely be able to recognize the differences between uh, hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia, especially DKA. Uh, let's say if you walk up. Well, in some patient actually, let's say they come into your office um, without, you know, finger poking them. How would you recognize which one has hypo and which one have DKA? Okay, so keep that in mind. Uh, what kind of C in hypoglycemia patient? Which one that you would see in DKA patient? What I want you to do is comment down below um, to tell me what are the symptoms for hypoglycemia without testing them, without poking their finger to see the blood sugar, actual blood sugar level. Uh, can you recognize the, the differences between hyper and hypo? True story, I had a, I, when I was working at uh, Desert Banner, um, this is way back in 2003, 2004, um, I had patient, uh, actually a nurse um, in the unit actually end up with hypoglycemia. And one of the nurses in there, um, you know, I told her, I told, her, I told her that you know you need to grab something for her because she's um, having a hypoglycemic episode, um, and she needs some sugar. So, so she went and grabbed, and what she did was she actually grabbed Diet Coke. Yep, Diet Coke. I I almost threw the Diet Coke at her. Um, but I instead I tell her politely, saying this is not the right thing to give her. Uh, she needs sugar at this point because she's hypoglycemic. Um, so she needs sugar, so give her something that has sugar. Okay, so do not give Diet Coke, Diet, Pe Diet Pepsi, to a person who have hypoglycemic. Okay, even though they are diabetic. Yeah, so I don't know which nursing school she went to, um, but anyway. So uh, we want to talk about smoji effect and dawn phenomenon. Smoji effect and dawn phenomenon. These two are huge. You do need to know what they are. You will see on your final exam. You will see the midterm, so know them. Um, so smoji effect is basically you have hypoglycemia with rebound hyperglycemia. So basically, your blood sugar is low, really low, and then what it does is your body trying to, uh, you know, bring it back, kind of just give a little jolt, uh, just that ho um, homeostasis, just jolt back up this uh, flash of uh, hyperglycemic. It's think think of them like a last effort that your body trying to revive your your brain, try to unshock your brain. Remember your brain needs sugar t in order to function. Uh, without sugar your brain actually gonna go into seizure and just gonna go into night-night mode. Uh, so without sugar, so this is the last effect of your brain saying, hey, do something right now to actually give me sugar. So it's the last burst of the sugar that actually go into your brain. Okay. Um, you're gonna see this quite a bit with type 1 diabetes, especially in kids. 
uh, you're going to definitely see this smoji effect. The dawn phenomenon, uh, this is when you actually have a spike of glucose level in the morning, in the early morning, between the 2 to 8 a.m. in the morning. So that's why they call it dawn phenomenon. This is, um, so a lot of times, people don't actually test their blood sugar at night. And a lot of time, people eat way into the night, even before they sleep. They, you know, they snack on something, or they eat ice cream before go to bed, or they, get, you know, shout out little churros, or you know, some type of um, sweet candies before they go to bed. And sometimes what happen is you're gonna see this uh, glucose um, elevation, um, just kind of spike in terms of spike of glucose in the middle of the night and this is not good um, not good for um, for your brain for your body you become restless during during the sleep um, because you just have way too much sugar going to your brain okay so this is um, could be a an, um, a phenomenon or a way that your brain uh, trying to compensate with uh, certain um, you know, glucagon, your your sugar, your sh unbalanced sugar. If you, if you have, if you are someone who actually have like diabetes, where you have sugar going up and down, up and down throughout the whole entire day, really extreme. Um, I'm talking about extreme up and downs. Uh, you could, you might see this at night. You might see these kind of symptoms at night. Okay, hypoglycemic. Um, again, these are some of these symptoms that you should know. Diaphoresis, pallor, colds, all of these good things to know. Okay, uh, you're gonna see uh, uh, loss of consciousness a lot of time if it's below, dip below uh, 20, 30. Um, if you test that glucose, if they're below 30, that's pretty bad. Um, you're gonna see them shivering. Uh, you're gonna see the sweat, um, tremors. Um, okay but mainly they're gonna feel cold they're gonna feel cold uh, whereas dka uh, very common in type one but what you're gonna see is you're gonna see the cool small respiration you're gonna see fruity breath you're gonna see uh, hot because they're burning up they're gonna sweat sweaty clammy and hot so they're gonna feel really hot you could just you could feel their palm the palm of the hand um, feel their neck you're definitely gonna see those and these a uh, couple of these video has to do with the cruise small respiration. One of them is um, also cruise small. Um, you could see watch here. You you won't have sound, but you could see it right there. See that? Right there. Those are lovely, right? Looks like an alien, like you have an alien ready to pop out from your body. Okay. And you're gonna see him become alert after this episode shortly. Um, and he'll regain, he'll start moving his body again uh, after his cruise mall right there. Okay. So think of Kuzma is a respiration where you 
really trying to force out that air. Um, so when you're trying to force out the air, and every now and then it actually force out your, you know, abdominal muscles and muscle that in your, you know, that attached to your abdominal wall, trying to force out the air uh, out as well. So that's why you're seeing those movement of the intestine in there. So it's part of the cruise ball. Yeah. Hyperglycemic, hyperosmolar state uh, could be life-threatening. So it's something you should be aware of. Um, insulin deficiency usually. So. Um, answer this question in the comment below as well. So, uh, acute complication. A person with diabetes arrives at the ED after abruptly abrupt decrease in level of consciousness. The person has tachycardia, diaphoresis, irritability, tremor, and confusion. The suspected person has which one of these? Okay. Answer. Oops, answer that below. Um, I already gave you the answer, but that's okay. Um, so next one, number f uh, next one is another common things that you will see in di diabetic patient. Um, looking into the eye using otoscope, uh, you're gonna see something called cut and wool spots and hemorrhage. Cut and wool spot looks like this. This is the edema start to depositing into the eye, which is not good. This is a sign. This is the hemorrhage right here. Uh, so all of these little things here, the darker spot, the darker area. So all of these tell me one thing, that this person is diabetic and this person is on their way to have diabetic retinopathy. So they're on their way to losing their vision. Okay. Well, very well, well on their way to lose their vision. This is something you, if you have diabetic, diabetic patient, something you need to monitor to keep in mind that you want to um, making sure that um, they don't develop any of these. If they do, they need to go to the eye doctor right away. Okay, They could also have diabetic nephropathy, neuropathies. Um, you guys know about those. Uh, prone, more prone to cellulitis as well. So. Um, these are some these you you guys could read through pretty easily the cause of diabetes. Um, this is the leading this is the diabetic retinopathy so uh, leading cause of blindness around the world. Um, you could have the edema that those cut and wool spot. So treatment. You could fix those. Nephropathy. This is another one you're definitely going to see more. The diabetic neuropathies, uh, definitely. You're going to see degeneration of the X um, Schwann cell, which is uh, making the myelin sheets. You're going to start seeing those. Um, a lot of time, a lot of time, one of the things that they will, uh, you could do. You, if you train in it, uh, you could do a block. You could do a nerve block, uh, injecting into the sciatic nerve, which is uh, not um, actually into the root of the coccyx um, area. Um, it will actually stop um, stop the tingling. 
and open up the blood vessels of uh, of the legs so to increase more circulations. Okay, so we'll stop right here before we can finish with the rest. Okay, let's continue. Um, then we're gonna look at uh, different types of disease and some of these uh, we'll cover more of these uh, in your um, cardiovascular section instead of now, uh, which is a couple weeks from now. So it's like CAD, MI, these are again, could be related to diabetes, um, a complication that can lead uh, from diabetes to this. Um, so we'll talk more about the MI, we'll talk more about CAD much later on. Same thing with stroke. So very common uh, to have, uh, it's a risk factor, diabetes is a risk factor to have stroke. So um, because of the de deposit of the fat. Um, PAD as well, so you could have increased incident uh, with with PAD with diabetes patients. Other infections that you could end up with in terms of um, having diabetes. Okay, so last we're gonna talk about the adrenal functions. Adrenal functions. You have with adrenals. Um, you have hyper and hypo function of the adrenal gland. So hyper, you're gonna have the Cushing syndrome or Cushing disease, um, okay? So adrenal gland, again, you have two sections, the cortex versus the uh, medulla, and the cortex uh, produce all of these um, cortisol. One of the things it produces cortisol and androgen and estrogen as well as the sex hormone so you're gonna see an increase in all of these you could in see an increase in cortisol you're gonna have a cushion disease if increase in androgen and estrogen you're gonna have the f the various the various sation and feminizations um, you also increase in aldosterone you're gonna see in the hyperaldosteronism so increase in blood pressure and decrease would be like Addison disease or hyper cortisol. So first one is the Cushing syndrome. We talk about this. You could have Cushing syndrome, Cushing disease, or Cushing-like syndrome. So uh, most likely, the most common, um, common cause of this is you have pituitary adenoma. So the three the three common things that you could have from pituitary, pituitary adenoma is prolactinoma, um, increase in ACTH, which leads to increase in cortisol, which is lead to cushion disease, and also um, growth hormone. So increase in growth hormone could lead to gigantism or um, acromegaly. So we talked about this uh, briefly last time, um, uh, last week, topic topic four. So Cushing, you can talk about is, think of uh, Mr. Penguin uh, from Batman. So you have this trunkal obesity, so big body, small, tiny little leg, uh, moon face, nice and round face, buffalo hump, 
okay uh, you're gonna see purple striate you're gonna see renal stone um, okay you're gonna retain water you're gonna also have other things like various uh, you're gonna have cursorism uh, baldness uh, balding you start growing facial hair you have these purple striate uh, ecchymosis easily bruised um, you know very thin extremity tiny hands tiny arms tiny legs big huge body so yep just like mr penguin uh, from batman so huge body just think of like a huge body like this okay tiny little arm like little chicken leg uh, tiny little leg as well little chicken arm chicken leg and then you have huge round nice and round face with the buffalo hump with the hump at the back so look like a snowman so okay um so person with cushion syndrome uh, this is uh, you answer this on the, on the bottom here and i'll put a comment down below answer this question uh, question six the person has a cushion syndrome which pathophysiological effect is occurring what's going on with their body okay uh, next one is congenital adrenal hyperplasia you could actually have increased adrenal uh, ACTH since birth you could have a birth defect uh, autosomal recessive disorder uh, could cause this uh, primary we call it con disease secondary it's going to lead to aldosteronism as well okay so you can uh, for this is for hyper aldosteronism so basically you're going to increase your blood pressure either one okay these will increase your blood pressure uh, hyper aldosteronism you have hypertension hypokalemia uh, neuromuscular manifestation treatment so you take out the tumor so you have a tumor you take out the tumor so uh, let's see so th the androgen and estrogen you could actually have that as well so um, with androgen that's going to lead lead to the male-like symptom um, you're going to have like herschelism like um, hair growing beard growing uh, estrogen you're gonna have like women symptom like you're gonna have developing breasts um, acne um, so things like that okay um, again you have this more likely you have tumors so therefore you need to take out a tumor so. Addison disease is the opposite. It's this hypothyroid, um, hypocortisolism. Um, so you don't have enough cortisol. You need to add onto it. So you need to add onto the cortisol because you don't have enough. Uh, you end up with renal insufficiency, hypocortisolism. Um, you uh, it's autoimmune disease usually. Uh, most likely you born with this. Um, so you don't have enough. Uh, cortisol so most often time um, to test this um, you don't inject cortisol you never ever inject cortisol in, into, into the body why again uh, cortisol acts almost like adrenaline so 
if you inject cortisol, you're gonna see that their heart rate, uh, their heart rate is gonna go up too hard, uh, too high, and you could cause them to die. So the test we do, we actually inject the ACTH. This is called ACTH stimulation test. So with um, with the Addison, always remember ACTH stimulation test. So you want to give the ACTH, let them convert the ACTH to cortisol by themselves. You don't need to inject cortisol by yourself. Okay. And these folks oftentimes feel tired all the time. They feel weakness, they feel tired. The key term to remember is hyperpigmentation. Uh, underline this term, highlight it. Uh, hyperpigmentation. You're gonna see that in their nails, on their gums, so. Okay. Um, you could have the next one, you could have part of the medulla if you actually have something um, causing the medulla to release norepi and epi. Uh, you're going to have something called pheochromocytoma, which means you have a tumor in your adrenal gland. Okay, tumor in your adrenal gland. And most often time is you're going to see the episodic, this is the key, episodic hypertension. Episodic hypertension, so write that down. So you're going to see episodic hypertension. That means your blood pressure is going to go up, stay up for a little bit, and then going to come down little bit then go up again okay so keep going up and down okay so you have tons and tons of catecholamine so think of this uh, because this has to do with uh, epi and nor epi okay think of epi and nor epi so what is epi what does epi do this is the fight or flight okay so fight or flight system okay so anytime you have this um, you're gonna see all of the uh, sympathetic symptoms. You're gonna see tachycardia. You're gonna see uh, you in increase your respiration. You're gonna uh, your people gonna be um, dilated, completely dilated. You're gonna have hypertension. So all of these. Okay. So keep this in mind. Keep this in mind. Okay. When you're seeing pheochromocytoma. So think of all the uh, sympathetic type of symptoms that you're gonna see. So episodic hypertension, um, diaphoresis, episodic headaches, and tachycardia. Those are the three triad. Also, you need to know, very common for these three triad. Okay. Um, with the tumor here, 10% uh, is usually uh, malignant. Uh, that can spread to the lung, liver, bones, and other part of your body, uh, for the most part. Okay. So keep that in mind. So all the fight or flight respond. So this is what pheochromocytoma look like. You could see here. This is the kidney. You could have a tumor right here on top of the adrenal gland. One right here, huge. Okay, so also answer these case study on down below. Okay, I want you to answer down below uh, in the comment section. So case study one, you you're welcome to pause this video to read uh, the case as well. 
Uh, question one for the case study, glucagon X, uh, excess may also also be as important as insulin insufficiency of diabetes. What does glucagons do? What what's the function of glucagon? Two, obesity is present in 60 to 80% of patients with type 2 diabetes and is a major contributor to insulin resistance by many mechanisms include. Okay, so that's conclude uh, the lecture for this week. Um, I will probably um, post a um, questionnaire for you to uh, for you to complete a worksheet for you to complete as well kind of case-based related and also a, um, a worksheet for you to complete for this week part of participation okay thank you for watching and I'll see you on next video